This episode of Chicago's Bravest Story is brought to you by Zoll Medical and Zoll EMS and Fire. Engine 1, Engine 4, Truck 2, Truck 10, Ambulance 82, Battalion 2, Fire 1020 North Main, help is on the way. Well, here we are. Thank you guys for coming here. What? We get paid a lot of money to work this equipment. Um, but uh, like I was saying, we're just going to jump right into this because uh, last time we had this group on, it was, I think the episode lasted uh, three weeks and 15 days. <laughs> so let's just, Dan, you're the you're the guest of honor today. So Take us back to the very beginning of what is Dan Trader? Like what we're, we're going to start with your military career because it was after your military career that you got started in the fire service. So kind of take us into coming out of high school and what prompted you to actually go down that road? Who is Dan Trader? We, we will get to the bottom of who is Dan Trader. It, it's going to take a while, but... Hopefully not as long as it took was. No, no. We're, you're on the fast track. Let's wrap this up. I'm from Harvard, Illinois. It's a small town northwest of here. Oh, we got a clap for Harvard, Illinois. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a beautiful yes. in October. <laughs> so I was, I'm the graduating class of 1986, and I had aspirations of playing football and, and being an athlete, but... Be the fact that I'm at the time I was 160 pounds and five foot two, and didn't have a hair anywhere. I, I probably wasn't going to have too much of a football career. Uh, Vince was 30 in 1986. Just, no, just I, gra- I graduated in '87. Oh, okay. me and Waz were four. <laughs> <laughs> so my I started out. Uh, I went to basic training in between my junior and senior year. It was called the split option program. So you, you go to basic training. I was in the Illinois National Guard in Woodstock. And I went to basic training at uh, Sand Hill at Fort Benning, Georgia. And I said, if I'm going to put all this work into it, I'm going to, I want to go regular army. I, I want to do this as a career. I love this. And, it, and it, I was kind of a goof in high school. I know it's hard to believe. I don't believe I it. I my act so together now, but I was kind of a goof. And I think it saved me from a career of DUIs and working at Dean's Plants in Chemung. So I, and I'm a, I've had a lot of second opportunities. So I signed up to be 11 Bravo uh, with the Illinois National Guard. I went to basic training. Go, this is really cool. And there I learned about Ranger Battalion, about Airborne, about all these other neat things that they had to offer. So I renegotiated my contract. I went regular Army. And I went on what's called a Victor contract. So I went to I had Ranger School. And then I, I had the opportunity to go into battalion. So I went back to... Harmony Church, and for infantry guys from, there's not one infantryman here from Army, is there? It's all Marine Corps. All jarheads. Corps. Yeah, all Marine Corps. All jarheads. <laughs> there's, a, there's a difference. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I didn't see you, Charlie. Hey, Charlie. Charlie's an Army guy. Our, Char- what is it? Oh, an unappreciated field of endeavor. <laughs> so, Thank you for your service. <laughs> Thank you for your service. So... I went to uh, uh, AIT Airborne School, went to Ranger School. Uh, 
I was lucky enough to go when there was cadets there. I kind of got hand carried through ranger school. I passed uh, ranger class 986 and was not selected to go to battalion and wound up in Korea for two <laughs> years. Korea was a blast. If you're 19 and it's 1986, I rec highly recommend Korea to you. <laughs> so get in your time machine. Yes. Go, go back to 1986. Uh, I had the good fortune of driving for then Major Abe Turner, who became one of our nation's uh, leading generals. He commanded the Corps of Cadets at West Point. Great guy. Uh, he looked, he was almost a spinning image of Michael Jordan. Big, very athletic, African-American man with real dark skin, and he loved having a short little driver that he could kind of run around. <laughs> and I followed him to the 1st Infantry Division in Fort Riley, Kansas, and I was there during the uh, Gulf War One. And my battalion was the only one, the 1st and 16th, and I was an ROTC instructor at the time, and, and my unit did not go to Gulf War One, and I thought I missed it. I, I thought this is it, my one chance to, for glory and all that. And I was I saying, because you were, you were looking to go Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Or, or looking to, to go into combat, Looking to right? go. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This sounds weird, but every young guy that joins the Army, and I think it's some, it, that becomes combat arms, at some level is looking for that. Firemen join the fire service at some level to go into fires. Yeah. I think we do. Right. I think we you, all You agree, Bri? Spot on. Yeah, absolutely. Al? Absolutely. I think we do. And that, that yeah, not, not so much for me. I, I really didn't want to go to combat. Al, first. You, <laughs> I would love to yeah, talk about this I was like, uh, 9-11 happened, and this is not what I signed up for. But <laughs> I changed my mind after like two years. It's fine. Well, in ep our last uh, encounter, when you found out you were going, that was the hilarious part of the, the episode where you're like, what? <laughs> Damn. I'm going where? <laughs> So when, when everybody came back to Fort Riley, everybody knew somebody that knew somebody that had actually maybe fired a shot in combat and saw a camel spider. So, I mean, it was over in four days and nobody really got any combat. And so I didn't really miss that much. Uh, I went from there to Second Ranger Battalion. What year is that? What year is the Gulf War? 1993. Yeah, right. Okay. 1991. Thank you. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I went from there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I, I went from there to Second Ranger Battalion and, and had a really good um, really good time in Second Ranger Battalion. I was there. Uh, Fernando mentioned one of the things about golden ages. Have you ever been in something in a golden age? And I was, in a, I was in a bunch of golden ages. I was lucky enough to grow up in a small town America in the 70s, in the early 80s. That was a golden age. I was lucky enough to go to Korea in the mid 80s when they were, I was there be between the, the Seoul Games and the Olympic Games. That was a golden age. I was lucky enough to be in Second Ranger Battalion uh, when guys there like uh, Doc Donovan, that was a golden age. It was tough. We were hard, we wore black berets, and we're goddamn proud of it. Uh, that, was, that was a golden age. And I did former Yugoslavia from there. I did two tours in Bosnia, three tours in Korea. I was in the Philippines, where I met my lovely daughter's mother. Aww. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> they met at a bar in Chicago. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a very... Golden age at that time, that was a, a great period to be in. Pre and I've heard this from firemen that, that pre-9-11 
was a golden age. Am I, am I close to that? That that's- What do you think, Mr. Casey? Yeah. <laughs> the guy, a lot of guys talk about that, the golden age, and, and those were, were good times. Uh, I got out of the army under unusual circumstances. If we're telling stories, I could tell it, but do you want to just wrestle it through? Tell it. We're here. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Uh, I want to hear it. Now keep in mind your daughter's here. No, this is a good one. I already know. Hey, oh, okay. hey Dan. All right. Yes. Go, can go back. Uh, when you, when they went Black Berets for the entire army, how did yes. that make you feel? Uh, <laughs> at the time, like, it seems like the whole uniform <laughs> thing, I'm, I'm so over now. I, the, the army went to what they call pinks and greens, which I think are the ugliest things imaginable, but everybody seems to like them. Do you like them? I sent my dad a picture of me and them, and he thumbs down it. <laughs> what a fucking jerk store, huh? <laughs> Not in Digis, yeah. Uh, now, after, after a lifetime of looking back on it, I think like concern about the uniforms and worrying about what uniform you wear instead of real training is kind of dumb. But at the time, it, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Well, you look cool. They took away the black berets. Hmm. So I was uh, CQ, charge of quarters, and I was in uh, CCO, second ranger bat, which is the other side of the airfield on uh, Seattle, Tacoma, uh, Fort Lewis, Washington. And there was some really beautiful pistols that were on a holder behind the first sergeant desk. And they were... Some kind of coated so they wouldn't rust or they wouldn't they wouldn't be affected by salt water. And we had, we we used to get to test a lot of stuff. We test new gear. We test uh, backpacks. We test boots. Whatever we get this stuff to test. They somebody give this stuff to test, and some somebody in our chain of command was smart enough not to give them out. Well, I saw them back there, and I had no reason to touch these things. They had no <laughs> business in my hand at all. But it's three in the morning. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> I can stand up and do this better. So I picked it up, and it was a revolver, right? Remember Doc Holliday scene? <laughs> Boom. Just whipping around. I had a negligent discharge <laughs> as, a, as an E6 promotable and a second ranger battalion. It is so funny you bring up the phrase negligent discharge. Because that is actually Vince's college nickname. Was <laughs> <laughs> I, I got there might one, be two I got or three more of these. I don't, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Well, I'm, I'm just, so that, <laughs> that's good. Hey, Dan, I got a negligent discharge on the day I was getting out of the Marine Corps. What's that? I got one literally the morning I was leaving the Marine Corps. Really? It happens. <laughs> it happens the best of us. <laughs> So uh, I had a, a letter reprimand, and that went into my file and a barred from reenlistment, and got out. And that was the one. That was the one event that kind of threw you on your nonsense path, right? I mean, yeah. really. Yeah. You, you were going to stay in that Oh, day? yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Maybe not. Okay. No, I get it. Because there, there were people that... They made the decision for you. Yeah. Yeah, that made, yeah, they made the decision for me. Uh, not everybody liked the military, living outside the military base, and that was kind of not where I wanted to raise the kids, and not where I wanted to, you know, thought of having kids. I kind of, so I came back here. Uh, I went to Roosevelt University, and I had a thousand and one side jobs, from bars to a, a mixed, mixed martial art gym to 
a place that sold little toy soldiers. I, I worked at everywhere, retail, wholesale. I worked everywhere you can imagine going to college. And I had some good scams to get through college. People have... <laughs> I learned, I learned uh, after 10 years in the military how to manage people and how to, oh, you're an attractive girl. How'd you like to come to the bar tonight? <laughs> really? Bring your friends. I call them on in. Everybody goes in. Monday, go back to school. Do you have a good time? Yeah. I need some help with my homework. <laughs> do, you, do you know anything about Napoleon? Yeah. <laughs> him I can know. It was, it was geometry that got me. Oof. Yeah. I get that. So I, I, at graduated college, I was a demolition laborer. Uh, with local 225 at a company called Midwest Wrecking on September 11th. And I went into my boss and, and it, it, I was listening to something like Howard Stern or something. I said, you know, we need now a good war. And he called me up and, and said, are you watching the news? I said, well, no, I'm, this is before cell phones were out, how they work. And he goes, well, right now you can go watch the news. And that was a Tuesday and by Saturday, I had gone back in. And it's the chance to go back to high school knowing what you know now. And I went back and I did the uh, 18 series, so it's Special Operations, Special Operations Sergeant. And I got language. I got Serbo-Croatian because I had some knowledge of it. Sounds right. <laughs> yeah, <Yakshimash. Croatia. laughs> That's, that's, that's not about, Croatian. It wasn't very much, yeah. That's, that's Polish. Yeah. <laughs> very legit program. Yes. Right. Oh. So, and I got back, and I, I was lucky enough to fall into a slot as a dog handler. So a military working dog handler. And I, so I complete selection. I mean, it's SF, and it's not easy, but I kind of knew it was coming, and I was a little older and a little more prepared, and, and I was, not wasn't expected, even I, I did pretty good. And, and physicality's never been... Never been no. a problem for you, really. Yeah, I mean, mine's is more brains. Yeah, a brain problem. That's uh, fair. Wrong, no, yeah. I get that. No, <laughs> I, 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 since I've known you, that's. Been I always said, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and would the selection have been harder if you went through it younger? Yes, yes. Selection would have been a lot harder if I'd have been, went through younger. I, I think that's a that's a good point. I was. I made it through Ranger on first time, which is amazing because a lot of people are what they call Florida recycles, where they they, they their body breaks down to the point you just need a break. And I was hand carried through by a guy that was a corporal uh, that, that kind of took me under his wing, Corporal Pat Usery, and he took me under his wing. And he had a long tab. He was a, he was a Green Beret. He was an SF guy, but he was a corporal. And it didn't make sense because you can't go to, you can't be a long tabber as a corporal. You have to be at least an E5 or above. And he, he was on his second round of everything and, and he had had a, a motorcycle incident that that turned out fatal for his girlfriend in the back and he was coming back and and i i mean i mean i can't imagine a better guy great guy to just put me under his wing and carry me through and really get me through and teach me what it meant to to be a ranger to be a to be an infantryman and help me a football term is when the game slows down help me the, help me slow the game down and he was a great guy. And, and I have a lot of those uh, shout-outs or, or acknowledgments of guys that have helped me through. Because I couldn't, a lot of this I've never been able to do myself. Well, Dan, you, you alluded to the fact that you became the canine handler. And that's going to play a huge role for you later on. Yeah. Was that something you wanted to do? Did you have any experience with that? Was that something that interests you? Or was that kind of the one last of my time? One of my many jobs was a, a dog handler for the Chicago Transit Authority. Everybody see those guys that 
with the, 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 the black uniforms with the dogs. I, I was the, probably for two years, two, oh, two, for a couple of years, I was a, a canine, for the, canine handler for the Chicago Transit Authority. And that was, uh, is that right? Yeah. Supposed to be doing that? No, you, we're working on it. We're working on it. It's mostly you. <laughs> so you know. Is this, this is our first time, right? So we, yeah. we can edit this all out. Yeah, just keep going. So I had, a, I had a, a passion for that, and I loved dogs and, and was around them, and this opportunity presented itself, and a lot of guys didn't want that. They didn't, it was an untested concept, and nobody had really done it before and knew how to do it. There was no TTPs for it. Nobody really knew what, how it was going to be successful. And, and then, yeah, I got it. I'll do it. Dan, what's the TTP? We had this tactics, uh, techniques, complaint last time that yeah. we were using. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> tactics, techniques, and procedures. There was no SOPs written. There was no TTPs written. There was no how to do it. We kind of learned on the fly. So before you, they were just like, here's a dog. Go do something. There, there was not special operations working dogs. There were none. Uh, we were the first class that went through. So we, we went through. Um, my, I, we, it, it was in Grisham Air Force Base in Indiana that we got assigned dogs initially. No, that was second. It was uh, San Antonio. We went through the basic dog school in San Antonio and then went up to Grisham. We picked up our assigned dogs because we, we learned on dogs that were part of that. And then we... Thank God Lieutenant Trader here yes, is keeping you, you on track. Thank you, ma'am. With your... <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to remember all this who, stuff. Because you're old. So, so I who, had a... <laughs> the best who part were is these guys you were learning from? All where these Viet, guys come they're from? They're Vietnam era handlers. Come on. So... <laughs> The, the U.S. Air Force had a very robust working dog program through the Vietnam War. Uh, they would do security around the bases, and this is kind of plays into later in a story with, with my dog. So they, they started and learned these techniques in the mid-'60s, and we're passing these on now. The U.S. The US Army had bite dogs, and it had odor detection dogs. They were, they were mostly bomb-saving dogs to go through your barracks and find your dope. But they didn't really have. That's fair. Or they'd have bomb dogs that would be at the front gate. When you drove up with a car, they'd circle your vehicle. But they never had the, co- the total combination, what we call a scout dog, or a military, the, the modern military working dog. That was not a thing. So we, we learned all this stuff from these Vietnam era vets. Uh, Ken Licklighter was the. the master sergeant, and he owns a company called Von Lick Kennels, and they're the premier... Von Lick? Yeah. You know Kenny? Yeah. Is you Wop- know Von Lick? Is Waffles yeah, still Lick here? Guy? What's that? Mike's a Von Lick guy from way back. Waffles in a car? Oh, Waffles is in a car. So he is the... He is... I don't know, there might be somebody, somebody before, now, but 15 years ago, he was a premier dog guy in the country, and he, he had a lot... His techniques were amazing. And I learned a lot from Kenny. He's a, he was a very good handler. I had to learn to keep my mouth closed and my ears open and focus and actually learn because there's so much that I didn't know that I, that, you know, I thought oh, I was a canine for the CTA. There's you know, it's a little different. Kenny. Same thing. Do you know different. who I am? Yeah. I'm the guy who put the toilets in this. <laughs> a little different. So I... Uh, did, you, did you get to see Waffles when he came in here? Yeah, absolutely. Did yeah. it bring it all back with his... Yeah, that's I, the same, I, it's the same dog, right? He, no. Waffles is a, a Belgian male, and I had a Dutch Shepherd. 
which is a difference without much distinction. Mine was a, a black and black and tan, and he was fawn. But the, I mean, he's a, that's a gorgeous dog. He is a beautiful dog. Oh, Nicholas. It, 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 it brought you back, though, didn't it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I love. I. We don't have a dog now because we live in a in a small neighborhood with lots of little kids, and and I'd love to have a, a great military working dog or a military style working dog. Yeah, well, she's the boss. S- say yourself. What is it? I said it's because mom says no. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sounds about right. Everybody has a boss. Yeah, no. <laughs> Dan. Yes, sir. How did you get tequila? Was she a, uh, so a dog that failed or something? She was, a fa- she was one of my failed dogs. So I came back and I managed a program uh, after, after to Afghanistan and, my, and, my, and Iraq. I came back and managed a program in Fort Von Le Kennels. And we, it was a scout dog program where we would actually train the dogs. And she was one of my, she was a failure. And she was a sweet dog. She was a smaller, long-haired male. And we call her the bird because she'd be out there and we'd be trying to focus. She'd be looking off. <laughs> That's I know not a bomb dog. It's a, it's a bird dog. <laughs> she just couldn't pay attention. And after three failures, and I don't even know if this was 100% too, but they said they were going to put her down. And the wife had met her and Soph had met her and everybody loved the bird. So we wound up, we wound up with the bird. And she was a great dog, great family dog. And that's the one that you guys had met. But I think you guys would have liked Remy. Uh, He is a very team-centric dog. If you weren't one of the immediate group, this is a, I know there's, it was your ass. If you weren't (laughs) one of the, if you weren't one of the guys, he knew who was supposed to be there and wasn't. And it was, he was a very good uh, security alarm. So you went from the bird straight to Remy or were there dogs in between? exact opposite. So I, I had the first dog I trained with was a dog named Bear, and I brought Bear. And he was a, he was a single purpose, very good uh, order detection dog. He didn't. He was a big chocolate lab, big big paws, big goofy dog, and, and worked really good. And he got over to Afghanistan, and it wasn't that hot because we got there January, and the the air and the atmosphere and everything. He just he zonked like yeah. he was he was useless. Hammered him. Not not built for that. Nope. He was he was like nope, not for me. And, <laughs> So, right so it's funny because Bear is actually no. Um, so, <laughs> so what's what's the first family dog you guys got? Was we're well, not family dog, but what's the first dog that Dan brought home? Was it Remy? So the first dog that we had was um, a Rottweiler named Warrior. Oh, really? And then after that, he'd just be bringing dogs in and out. One of them chased me around the car for about ten minutes while I was screaming, <laughs> "Dad, get this dog it was away from me!" <laughs> But yeah, our first, my childhood dog growing up was Warrior, and he was a Rottweiler, and he was um, he was your security dog. Was, with I was going to say, so Warrior was just a home. Oh, okay. He so worked with, with him yeah, yeah. at the CTA, and he was pretty vicious, but he was a great family <laughs> dog for yeah. us. So what happened to Warrior? Uh, he he died. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> He's a dog. So. He's a dog. <laughs> um, but uh, what do you think was, happened did to you Warrior? Guys just keep him at, was Warrior just at home while you were still training dogs? Okay. Yep. All right. So he, it, good story about Warrior. He actually degloved the guy that stuck his finger in the muzzle. <laughs> and, uh, Can't do that. From about here down, like completely degloved him uh, out in front of the uh, Wrigley uh, station on the L. We we're out there and some drunk. Goofs come up and, I pet your dog. And he stuck his hand right in the muzzle and <laughs> he loved him. 
Through the muscle, good. huh? Uh-huh. Through the muscle, because they had big. Yeah. They they always had to have a muscle. On. Yeah. So he stuck his hand. He got his finger in the muscle and gotcha. pulled the tip of his finger off. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, right. so we're we're two dogs deep into your program. Okay. At, at what point do you start putting together the training protocols for what these dogs are going to be used for? So we we uh, I wound up with Remy, and he was one of the star dogs of this of this group of our team that was in in Afghanistan. So we, I went into Afghanistan. I went to Kandahar, uh, calf airfield. And I was there for seven months before I ever left, uh, and went forwardly deployed more than like for a night or for a long, for a long period of time. I, I go out on patrols with the Romanians. I would do, uh, patrols with Brits. It, It was a lot of, uh, perimeter security patrols. Nobody bought into our concept. Nobody bought it. And we would do demonstrations and we would do um, capabilities stuff and, and, and nobody was buying it. And one guy from a team came in. He was from ODA 391. And he was a E6 at the Dan, time. Dan, what's ODA? What's that? Uh, Operational Detachment Alpha. Thank so I was, on, I was a Green Beret and I was on a C team. So. so I was not <laughs> on an A team. So the, the guys would come in and out. And I knew all of them. And you guys are so cool. Uh, and... The, they came in, they were, came back for, I don't remember, for, for some resupply or for some, from time or something. And he saw it and he recognized the capability and said, we, we're at a place called uh, De Raoud in Aruzgan province and our infantry are getting, getting chewed up by IEDs. And if we could find something to neutralize that IED threat, we could, we would be able to, really good back out and patrol and be a presence out in the field other than just stay in the fob, which is really important is to be able to get out and patrol aggressively. So it, you're saying it took one guy yeah. with, with, with actually, that could actually think outside the box with boots on the ground knowledge yep. to change? It changed it, 100%. One guy. Yep, one guy. So this, this particular guy uh, happened to be a year earlier, he was in a battle of Debeka Pass where – the Iraqis, uh, an Iraqi regiment attacked 24 Americans, uh, and they held them off with, what? They were, they were able to hold them off. There's an there's a, a interesting caveat to the story, but they, they were able to hold them off with, with long-range anti-tank weapons, 50 calibers, and they won silver stars, and they were studs. They were, they were the, the, the studs of the theater. Uh, so we, we showed them how, the, how they all worked, and we proved to them, and then they said, okay, go hide something. You go hide something. Bury it out there. You're an engineer. Hide it out there. I'll find it. And we found it. And we found it again and again and again, and we proved our concept. Keep hitting. Yeah. Keep hitting. So we wound up, uh, got approval from General Brown, who was our, our commander at the time, and we went out, and our first time out of the gate, we found an IED. And then we looked around, and... and the houses that were very clearly visible. Uh, oh, there's only one that had good overwatch of that, that position. We went in and searched the house. We found IED making material. And that, that linked it to a, a, a shop down in the, down in the, the villa of Deir Oud. And we went down the next day down there and got in a big fight, got in a big gunfight. And the dog was, had a positive impact, bit somebody, uh, and we found a bunch of bomb making material in this guy's shop. So we were very successful like right off the bat, right off the gate. Was this Remy? Yeah, that was Remy. 
And what would what was Remy hitting on? What was what was the specific? Um, he he would do the way dogs work is is think about a a pizza, right? So they can do black powder, Simtex, smokeless powder, all of the things that that combine to make them explosives, petin, uh, petin, all of those things a dog can smell, and he can able to identify each one. So he was able to hit on all of those different scents. Oh, really? How many different scents? Yeah, 14, 12, 14, 14 different. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. whether they were I can, combined I can or bring, not. I have a logbook that I kept track of the logbook every day okay. of what we did. Rounds, he could find ammunition that they had buried in the ground because it's smokeless powder. Mm-hmm. And I train him on SKS or AK ammunition, which is okay. 762 by 39. Okay. And that's what I train him on, not on American. And apparently there's a little bit of a variation. Sure, yeah. And, and again, if you're just training on American, like that's obviously That's saying he's going to hit American. You know. um, so... Yeah. So, uh, again, and I'm just basing this off of, like, nonsense, like arson dogs for mm-hmm. us. Like, and there's different different ways that uh, people will train those dogs, and they'll, like, train to, um, they'll train where it's, like, this dog only eats when they smell. Ah, uh, okay. You know, uh, when they smell whatever, this specific substance or whatever it is. And, like, how would you go about, like, training Remy? And- so, our dog was a, a prey, dro- prey drive. So, he wanted to bite chase and chew and manipulate small prey, small animals. That's what he thought he was doing. And we did that with a tennis ball. So we, he, he believed that the tennis ball was a, a small rodent or a swirl or whatever he was chasing. That's what he wanted to do. And he associated the smell with the ball. So he would, he would search for the smell when he, when he found the odor. The next thing we do is we, pin, we teach him to pinpoint it and not move and stare at it. Just so, point, right? Right. So okay. there's active and passive alerts. Mm-hmm. And he was a passive alert dog for the most part. There's a story there too. Yeah. So he was a passive alert dog where he would stop and sit and stare right where he smelt that cone of scent. And when he'd, when he'd identify it, then we'd, I'd praise him off or I'd, I'd remove him from the situation. Mm-hmm. And then... Then you guys would... Move. Then we come... Now, not, not me. I would go off and tell, the, tell him good dog and get down. Mm-hmm. And we had engineers, or in that ca- this case, 18 Charlies that would come in and they would SSE, they would investigate, they would uh, site survey exploitation, they would dig through and find out exactly what was there and uh, either defuse or, or blow up the bomb. So bringing that back to where we're at now, like, you, so pretty much Remy was pointing out every, every scent he, that she came across. So or, or we, across. we went out of the, our front gate, our first time out the gate, and I was scared shitless. And I'm scared of, what if I walk over something and the, the first vehicle behind me blows up? I was scared to death. And we, we walked forward and we were, we're about, you could still, you could see the front gate and he sat and pointed and looked at the ground, and by uh, the guy, the, the Charlie came up, and he goes, is he for real? I go, I don't know. <laughs> I go, fuck, I don't know. So I Just stayed right there, and start digging. Slo- we started digging and digging and digging, <laughs> and he put his hands in, and it, it was an Italian anti-tank mine. He could feel it. He goes... We got it. We like. We, I think oh, we thank it. God! It's a bomb. Yeah, <laughs> I think we hugged each other right then. Proof of concept. We we proved it. Sorry, I don't have Sophia here to help me. Dan, what <laughs> what kind of distance was it before he smelled something like five meters, twelve feet? The, it know. was wind and and uh, environment dependent. Okay. So he would, uh, so a, a bomb buried in the ground gives off a scent, and it comes straight out of the ground through the dirt. 
and then depending on which way the wind is going, how the barometric pressure is, it creates a cone, a cone of scent. So that goes off away from the, the, the bomb, and if the wind's blowing this direction, it goes off in a cone. And, I, and what you have to do is learn to read the wind and know where that cone is gonna go. So if the wind's going this direction and the bomb is here, I would start way over this way and I would learn to read Downward. his cone. You taking notes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is kind of 101, I know. And it, He's got to talk about Saturday. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep. So, it, so yeah. he would follow that cone in. So you would, would you plan the... The route yes. according to the wind, the yes. entire patrol route, or the just entire the entire okay. patrol route. So what we do is we get a uh, they give us a destination. We want to go from uh, the front door of our base. We want to go you know this five click uh, distance to this this area, and I would be involved in the planning or the planning you might portion go twenty clicks to go five just to yeah. follow the wind. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So what what we would do is. Rule number one, don't drive on the road. And rule number two, don't drive on the road. If you can't do one or two, do stay off the road. If you had to, if you came to a choke point, a ravine, some type of a, a narrowing that you had to drive on the road, that's where the, the IEDs would be placed. That's where, they would hit, that's where they'd put them. How successful was Remy in relation to finding actual bombs? It was great. He like, was... He was phenomenal. We, had, we found six IEDs. He had 11 combat bites. Uh, no vehicle I ever walked in front of blew up. That's, a, that's, a, that's a, the greatest thing I can say. It's, no. it's still a factor to this day. Yeah. So. And there's, pl- there was, there's been plenty of dogs that have had. Every, every time I see Dan get in a car, he's like fucking De Niro. Every time he's looking underneath, he's checking the trunk. He's, he yeah, he had me start his car last time he was in the studio. Yeah, oh, yeah. No. Just to be sure. Only me, though. Just to be Only sure. Me. Yeah. So that is, I mean, that's, there's no coming back from that. If, if you're walking in front of a vehicle looking for a bomb and, and then a bomb goes off on the vehicle in the, after you've walked it and said it's clear, there's not much coming back from that. It's really tough. And that was my biggest fear. So we, we found that first IED. Uh, he blew it up. He actually did a, a, an SSC, a site survey exploitation, pulled it out, looked at it. There was a, a little... It's like a wad of chewing gum in a wrapper that like, they had folded into some type of origami. And we wound up identifying this guy by the, the little sign of, like, he left gum everywhere. It was like a signature. And I didn't huh. realize this. They, they had talked about this. So that, that, night, that day, obviously, we weren't going to continue our mission, go to where we were going. We wanted to do more uh, looking around this area. We went to... Uh, this compound that overlooked that site. We were, gonna, we were just gonna ask if anybody had seen anything, you know, was anybody digging there? Did anybody see anything? Uh, there was like four mil- military age men, the females we segregated, the guys were all looking, we- looking you know, looking, looking shady at us as we were looking around, and the dog sat on a pile of trash, and we dug through the trash, and it was the aluminum wrappers that the the IED or that the mine had been shipped in. It was the shipping. This was your fucking joker, huh? Yeah. This was your Thanks. fucking nemesis over there? So it wasn't as much mine. This guy we got. So they, we wound up, uh, they tried to run. The dog bit him. We got a, so I got a bite and a find all in one day. And it was, a good, it was a good day. Is that one of the things you gauge a dog's success on are bites? Like, oh, yeah. 
Everybody, tra- everybody keeps track of that. What's what, what's a good record for a dog as far as bites are? Concerned? Guys, guys nowadays, the dogs now are so much better, so much better trained, and the the handlers are so much more knowledgeable that six is not even in the not even the running. Guys are are way more successful than that now. Thirteen, fifteen. 25 guys are guys are doing phenomenal work now yeah, but you I mean, had I, you had more contacts back we, when you but you just didn't utilize the dog the way these guys yeah, are utilizing we, them we would we would go through we used uh in, Af- in iraq we used speed and in afghanistan we would not drive on the roads and when we drove on the road that's when we or when we had to go through a choke point that's when we go out and use a dog but we had a lot of contact my my two tours in afghanistan were pretty sporty they were they were pretty Active. What year? Uh, 04 to 04 and 05. Okay. There's a, I got a map that, that yeah, shows all that, the sites. I was going to say, I, I think we're going to try throwing those up, Vinny. What do you think? Like those, some of the, uh, some of the pictures that we had at Dan. Yeah. Dan um, uh, gave some pictures. We'll put those up. Yeah. I was, I was okay. pretty much like, I was talking to Mike and Nick over there and they were like, they were telling me that like Dan is like a coked up Babe Ruth in the forties <laughs> relative to their stats that they have right now. Like, they're, these guys just knocking out of the park, and Dan's just, you know, <laughs> an old fat man. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't understand that. Yeah, that's okay. baseball. Hey, reference. Dan, that's with me. the, uh, maybe it goes with the bites, too, and the bombs and stuff like that. Did you ever have to follow up with any courts, like any trials or anything with the dog or anything to follow up with anybody that you guys caught? Like no. You, guys, you never no. had to follow up with court? Nope. Any trial? Okay. So, the... I'm hesitant to... Say it. Just remember it's live. I know. <laughs> it's not really live. We, I mean, there's people here. They'll yeah. sue you, but... <laughs> no. <laughs> we, the guys I was with, it just wasn't just me. We were pretty aggressive when it came to, to dealing with that. And we, we understood that there was kind of a catch and release policy. And we, we made sure that that didn't happen. I totally understand. The only reason I asked is because we had one time... We had to send two guys to Baghdad, and we're like, we, we really? got to do what? Like, we don't, like, that, There's no. a thing? <laughs> yeah. That's the only reason I asked. Yeah, yep. I wasn't sure if they forced you to do some kind of follow-up nope. for us. Like no. a more higher profile thing or whatever. But. No. Last time you were in, we talk, you told us a story about how you were training Remy to jump out of the airplane, <laughs> which prompted, you know, lesson learned there, yeah. right? Yeah. You, you, you got him to the point where you could jump out, and when you jumped out, he... He bitch in the crotch. So right. that, was, that was later my second tour. Uh, I did the first tour with third group, and then I wound up getting hurt, and I switched groups to, to seventh group. Well, let's, let, uh, when you just say, I got hurt, like, you twisted your ankle. <laughs> Are you guys with me? Like, he didn't just get hurt, right? <laughs> like, describe your injury, Dan, because... Getting, I, you're getting hurt is obviously different than my getting hurt. <laughs> okay. Oh, I got hurt. What happened? I just busted. I got blew up. I got busted my legs and all. So, like, thanks, what, Steve. <laughs> Thank so, you. what what was what was your injury during your first? I tour? I broke all the toes on my right foot and I had a tib fib fracture. Yeah, that's just getting hurt. Oh. <laughs> I I rolled over an ID. <laughs> you know. With just two with two bomb shit. dogs and right. with yeah, two bomb did, dogs did, and another bomb did, handler. Those dogs are probably like. Did you appreciate the irony of hitting an IED with the bomb dogs? We were inside we the were car? targeted. We were specifically targeted. Oh, of course yeah. <laughs> and he came home with a pink cast for me. Oh, <laughs> what a sweetheart! 
So yeah. we, they, again, they, if did we they can, have like posters it, and stuff, like wanted posters and flyers? With yeah, we had, we, they had wanted posters yeah. for us, and there was, a, there was a bounty on her head for guys with beards and the dogs. There was a, what was, a, the, beards, what was the bounty for you and Remy? I think, I think 2,500 or 2,000, something like that. Uh, you were devalued. I don't remember. You were devalued. You were worth way more than that. <laughs> Sue wouldn't pay that right now. Yeah. <laughs> if she was here, she'd be like, uh, send them back. <laughs> Probably right. <laughs> yeah, that's okay, that's so you're, you're first to where you get blown up. Yeah. You suffered an injury. Uh-huh. <laughs> And then you heal up and you go back and you go back with the third battalion, you said? I, so I, I was with ODA 391 when I got hurt and I, I wanted some payback. So I wound up switching groups, which is, a, which is kind of a big deal in, in group, in, in SF to switch groups. So I went third group and seventh group at the time. We're both stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and I applied to the first group that I, the first team that I saw was going back, which is ODA 726. So I got on their team and I went from being ODA 391, the, the ODA, ODA operations attachment alpha. Third group has a very, each group has a very specific culture. So third groups are mostly middle-aged white males. They hunt and they fish and they're outdoorsmen and they're very, uh, no nonsense. Very, very uh, kind of. I'm trying to think of like old school. It's a lot guys. of a lot of country guys. What's that? A lot of country guys. F-150s. A lot of chewing tobacco. A lot of uh, a lot of a lot of real tree guys that bring their bows we get, we get in. Applause there was for a lot Ford of F-150. <laughs> there was a lot of all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I moved to seventh group, whose area of operation is Central and South America, and it's. Latin music, it's younger guys, younger hip guys, and I, I suddenly there became it is. the I was ready for a <laughs> I suddenly became the worst dressed in the entire play. <laughs> I mean you know. sports cars, crash rocket motorcycles, it, it was a completely different world. Uh, so that was that was a culture shock for me. But I had now been there. I I got hurt on September seventeenth and I was back in country uh, two months. I was back out at the fob by Thanksgiving. You weren't, so you weren't exactly healed. No. By, I, by I any was, stretch of the imagination. By any stretch of the imagination, I was gimping around pretty bad. How did you, how did you get approval to be done with your injuries? The, the main thing we had to do, uh, they, they said, if you, if you can do around Kandahar Airfield, around CAF, with a 35-pound ruck to military standard, I'll let you go back out. And this was my sergeant major said this. Dan, you came home? Yes, I came home. Now I went to, I, I, I got hurt. I evac'd uh, to Landstuhl. Uh, I had two surgeries. I had a debris and then two surgeries. I had wires and my right foot is kind of held together with wires and pins. And they reset my, because it was off. My tip fit was uh, not aligned. So they reset that and I came home. Uh, I was home for Halloween and I was gone right after that. So I was I, gone pretty quick. Did you have to convince them to let you go back? Or? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. It. Yeah. I can't imagine they wanted you to go back. You no, I, I pulled okay. strings and I, I beat people up, you know, verbally. I, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, you probably fine. strangled a couple of guys. And no, no. <laughs> you're an idiot. Traitor, you're an idiot. Just, okay, fine, go. And so a sergeant major, sergeant major said, you run around the yep. 
The, you make the, it around. You make it around the eight miles of Kandahar Airfield, and that's we'll how like, long it was. Eight, eight miles. Eight miles. The the circumference of calf of calf is we, eight miles. We talked a little bit about this before. How that was such a amazing time to be in the military because even though clearly, obviously, you should not have gone. Absolutely, back. we can not. all agree on that. There's no yeah. getting around that. But there was a time in the military where there was a little bit of a more no bullshit mentality where a mission was trying to be accomplished, and I. I'm just assuming here. Just no, it's 100%. I, I, mean, I know most of your, some of your stories where I think they, they knew you were, you were going to go back. Yeah. Like, let's just cut the bullshit, get this guy back so we can be successful in theater. Because that's it, kind of the experience I had, too, where yeah. it was like, at that time in the military, it was, it was such a positive time for us where people just wanted to work. Yeah. And they cut a lot of the bullshit out, and let's get these guys to work, which is kind of special. What, when is this? What, give me. Oh, four. Oh four. oh four. Bri, where are you at right exactly. now? Exactly. Oh four. I, I was in Iraq. He was in Afghanistan. Right. Then same okay. exact same time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Al, where are you at? Same. Oh four. Okay. Yeah. I think we all got hurt in oh four, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of crazy. <laughs> it was a good year. We're all so, gimping um, around in the, the same year. <laughs> yeah. It's good year be off. Like, um, so, I'm sorry, Dan. Tell the story real quick because I want to go go your daughter. Say it again. About the run. Talk about the run. Oh, so I. I I brought, brought the dog with me. I had my ruck on, and I started running around. And about a quarter mile in, my foot started hurting. And about a mile in, it really hurt. And, and it was, people would, the, the guys that were doing security around the, the base would stop and ask if I needed help. And I was, get out of here. I can do it. And I was, it, it was. Uh, there was no time limit. He just said, you got to make it. Yeah, finish it. Completion. And how long did it take you, do you think? Oh, it, I don't remember how time, a couple hours. Yeah. But I was, I was. I was not doing 15-minute miles. I was, I was <laughs> I gimped in, and they x-rayed, and it was nothing was out of place. And I'm like, okay. That and, was it, huh? I mean, thank God for chemistry, modern medicine. So what did, what was going on with Remy this whole time that you were rehabbing and you were doing so, Because you're separated now, right? Yes. So I came back. Remy stayed in the field. Remy, Remy went immediately. Remy was an amazing dog because his, he, re, he was in the backseat of that vehicle there's a funny story about getting blown up uh we had had so much success in the first couple months that we were out there that they brought another handler out and we and we were out on i think it was his second mission out with us his name was al bogus right that's the that's the hillbilly guy yeah right? okay oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so tell everybody who haven't listened to the, the episode what al bogus said the second you guys got blown up so Pay attention he, to this. We were arguing. We had, we had just found another IED. We went out and back the same route, which was really stupid. And we didn't leave an overwatch on a blind spot, which was really stupid. And we were arguing the vehicle that we got blown up in was a Land, Ro- Land Rover Discoverer. It's not, it wasn't a Humvee. It wasn't a GMV. It was a, a little rent Land Rover that we had painted camouflage. And it was a stick shift. And I had not driven stick in a while. I was grinding the gears going up this area. It was called Roller Coaster Hill. Dan, I have the same experience. I, <laughs> an SF guy taught me how to drive a stick, stick on a Land Rover. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was attached to them. And uh, they were like, who's going to drive this thing? Kid, you got barely enough gear on. You're driving. I was like, I don't know how to do it. You got two hours. Uh, all right. <laughs> That's awesome. We, we stole two Land Rovers on a raid specifically for the guys to learn how to drive stick. That didn't know <laughs> it's, how to drive it's stick. awesome learning experience. And I knew how to drive stick, but I was grinding the gears, and Al's sitting next to me, and he's from West Virginia, and he's, you're so damn stupid, you can't even drive a stick shift. So he was yelling at me, and we were fighting back and forth like an old married couple, and we went, we went it was a roller coaster kill because it had a little dip, and the, the IDs were placed. It was a double stacked, again, Italian anti-tank mine, double stacked in the ground, 
and it blew up and in the air all I remember and I thought I literally thought I blew up the transmission I didn't even think I got blown up an ID and Al goes oh dear god they got us <laughs> and we we flopped down and we both rolled out of the vehicle and I walked off to one side and he walked off to the other and we literally walked away from getting blown up and it was a I mean lucky day great day and, and Remy didn't sustain any injuries no injuries they kind of how they they kind of howled and whined and there was another dog up there and the dogs were fine and the dog got turned over a guy by to a guy named Will DiPaola another former marine that was another SF handler and he worked Remy successfully uh, during the election and did really great work with him Will's a, Will's a big dude and Will and I had to come to an understanding of who was going to get Remy so <laughs> Will is a scary, should I tell this, the garage doors, the stitches story? So my lovely daughter has a scar over her left eye. My lovely daughter has a scar above her left eye. And she was in third grade? Kindergarten. kindergarten. And I had just deployed. She was in kindergarten. And two kids having nothing to do with her were throwing bottles around in, in the, the lunchroom. And one hit her and cut her right above her eye. And I... I wasn't there. I was overseas. There was nothing I could do. So I called up my buddy Will, who was still slated to come over. He was on leave, also from the Chicagoland area. And I said, Will, can you take care of this? And Will's a, being a typical Marine, hey, I got this. He rides over. Will's tattooed from... I meant for him to check on her and make sure she's okay. I didn't mean for this to happen. Will's tattooed from like his neck down and, you know, all Eagle Globe and Anchors. So often you won't even notice. <laughs> All Eagle Globe and anchors, and then he was in, might have been in a couple MCs here and there. And he walked over, he, not walked, he rode over to this guy's house and his motorcycle, with wearing like, and this is my impression of what he did, I think wearing nothing but his leather vest and his outlaw colors on the back. And he grabbed the guy by the neck and he put him up. Mm. Yeah. Hey, not the child, the dad. Yeah. <laughs> put, the, put the dad against the wall, and he said, this girl has a new bodyguard because if she has a scratch or a hair out of place, I'm going to come back and skin you alive and crucify you to this door's garage door. And then he calls me up and tells me how to handle it. I went, what? So I got, like, Hello Kitty stuffed animals and toys from this family for, like, the next year. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Did, 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 Sophia, did you check on your eye? No, no. He, he took care of this, took care of this month. Big Will <laughs> took care of it. Um, so, uh, Lieutenant Trader, if you don't mind, can I ask you during your first uh, while when Stan got blown up, mm-hmm. the time when he came back home, what was uh, what kind of effect? How old were you at the time? Oh, four, I was probably six. Okay. Did, did that have anything that kind of driving you towards what you're doing now, or you just didn't? Yeah. Um, eh. So I'm going to be honest. This is, you know, harsh reality of when a parent is gone. Uh-huh. This is not all sunshine and flowers and rainbows. Right. Um, a lot of my childhood I kind of disassociated, I think, because it was really traumatic and hard to, to deal with that. Sure. Yeah. Um, one of the memories I do have is him pulling up in his what was that, a Ford Expedition or that white car? Yeah. I remember him pulling up with his um, pink cast on and coming home. Um, but for there was a very long time where I associated the military with negative thoughts sure. only. 
And I resented him and I resented the army in general for what it took away from me. Um, So for a long time, I didn't really realize the things that I gained um, having someone in the military. So it was... Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was definitely something. It was I not mean, hard. I mean, it was not. I used to go to daddy-daughter dances with my uncle. Shout mm-hmm. out to Pat Milani. I love you. Um, yeah, yeah, he missed a lot, and I. Well, Sophia, how old were you when time. you, like, realized what your dad was doing? That his like absence was actually for a noble cause. <laughs> Still working on that I mean, one? No, I noble is like a strong <laughs> word. <laughs> so, um, I think, so I, you know, resented him, honestly, for a long time. Sure. And um, I had a lot of negative feelings towards him for a while. And then I began to realize, you know, things like Will uh, standing up for me, something like that. Civilians don't, this is, might not be true for everyone, but from what I've seen, the, the, the bond that you have in the military is something that, you only get through a common hardship or, mm-hmm. you know, shared misery. Um, and I think a lot of it for me, realizing that what he was doing was so important and the relationships that he was forming was so special, a lot of it was just being around um, the people that, you know, he worked with. And then and as it, I got it probably older... probably wasn't even until you were in that situation that you started realizing, huh? I didn't even want to, I, didn't, I wanted nothing to do with the military. He never pushed me. And then my junior year of high school, he and was doing the baton death. I know. <laughs> Sign my life away. <laughs> my junior year of high school, we, he was doing the baton death march memorial marathon. And he was like, I think you should just try it out. So I was like, oh, maybe I could do the military. So... There was like, it was like the last day to sign up for this 26.2-mile ruck march. Um, so he was like, let's go just try an 18-mile and, and see what happens. So we tried it. <laughs> just try, just, you know. I survived. My feet hurt. But we were like, let's do it. And then I formed my own bonds with the team that we were with, and it um, really drove me to you know, start, start looking into it. But I did some leadership, like military leadership camps early high school that kind of um, showed me that this is, this is something that I could do. Can you think of one event prior to, prior to that point that kind of said, like, oh, you know what, like, this, this, might be, this might be something I'd be interested in, or this might be something, was it Dad coming home maybe and talking about some of the stuff, or was it, like, so, it had anything kind of pushed you? I think, so when he was overseas when I was young, I used to carry his old ranger hat with me. Mm-hmm. I wore it every single day. Dan's I had it in my right backpack. for anybody that's... <laughs> I had it in my backpack every single day. Did you call um, it? Did you call it a hat? <laughs> did he get mad when you called it? Until a hat? the day he, it's actually hanging in my bedroom right now, right next to the flag that I commissioned in front of. But Aww. I wore it every single day, and like you know, little kids would be like, "Why are you wearing that? Why do you have that camo hat?" And yeah. I had so much pride saying like, "My dad's overseas. My dad's doing this." And I think that kind of uh, started to plant the seed in my head that. You know, I felt so much pride for what he was doing, and Even I had a lot of resentment. you were kind of pissed off about it. Like yeah, I was still, mad, but I was yeah. like, Dad's a hero. Yours yep. isn't. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fucking high-rolled this mother guy. High-rolled this motherfucker. So, um, okay. All right. So, like, just, just seeing that. And then, okay. All right. So, so get back to your thing. I didn't mean to sidetrack everybody. Dan, Vince what was it like for you? Cheering? Going back, and you got a kid at home, and she's little. 
No, I'm not going to tell him about when I cried at the airport. Uh, <laughs> so, Dan, did you cry at an airport uh, oh. at, at any time? I'm not going to tell him about that either. Uh, so, I've only seen my dad cry like maybe three times in my life, and one of them was when he pinned on my airborne wings. And he, he had his sunglasses on, he had to pull them down. <laughs> I gave him a hug, and he said, don't hug me, I'm getting too emotional. And then he punched, me, he punched the wings into my chest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Was the second time when Remy bit you in the crotch? That was the first. That was the first time. Uh, so, Corey did a really good job of sidetracking us. Yep, which completely what he does. Yeah, Thanks, he, Corey. He does that. That's my thing. This episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories is brought to you by the Frontline Team. Corey, you know so much about mortgage brokers. I can't even begin to discuss it and what i love about these guys is that they they pretty much they stick to the golden rule just like us fans. um something that that they have said over and over again is that if they if they would do it for themselves or their family that's the golden rule that they stick to when it comes to lending to, to individuals so again these guys are just class act guys um we, well, it's a veteran-owned company yep it's like like anything else in the fire department you you have a guy, so these are your guys. If mortgage, if you're in need of a mortgage, if you want to refinance or something like that, these are the guys. They've done a bunch of work with uh, other first responders. They know what's going on, and you get to work with guys like Joey Matthews, Josh Hill, uh, Local Two Zone, Tom Kelly, Ivan and Danielle. Where can these guys get a hold of uh, Frontline Team? So we got their phone number. And their phone number is 630-534-2900. You guys can also email them at thefrontlineteam at thefederalsavingsbank.com. That number is 630-534-2900. I hope. Is that a 2900? Wrote down. It's close. (laughs) Text them just to make sure first. Um, any, Any type of picture, really, they'll accept it. Uh, again, make sure to check out our guys over there at the front line team. <laughs> that one did not That's go well. That's going to need some cuts. That did not go well. We're only up to your second deployment now. Yep. And you're going back, and you know, this chapter of your life, we can, we'll name payback. That's oh, yeah. what you were going back there for, right? Yep, absolutely. You, you kind of took ex- exception to being blown up. You did not appreciate that. It injured you. And you're going back, and now is it the same uh, mission that you had? You, so you guys come to an understanding on who's going to get Remy. Mm-hmm. You win that battle. Yep. Now you and Remy are back off. The, the boys are back together, and yep. you guys are off doing the same mission. The same mission in the same town with a different team. Dan, and now, yeah. Uh, the, the two guys that got killed that you do the memorial, is, is this the same time that you got hurt? Or is this no. after? Or? No. So everything. I'm, I'm just screwed up on my flashing, timeline. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. So. Got it. That's the second deployment. Okay, a lot of this, my being able to go back to the same area was driven not because of, of, it was driven by events, not by my own requests or anything. They didn't care what I asked for. Uh, they had, they after our 
after our ID, they had gotten some contacts and they had stopped going out of the wire. They had started to really tighten up the positions. It was more of the needs of the army kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Thanksgiving, I am on Kandahar, the base at Kandahar, and we heard that an IED had gone off at DR. And I know everybody at DR, that was my okay. I'm, oh, man. And two young cats, uh, Frackard Fleischer had gotten killed in the IED. And the next day, they said, you're on a bird going back. Good. That, that was, the, that was the, the auspices that, that I was able to go back from these two, these two young guys getting killed. Uh, every Thanksgiving, I, I do the Frackard Flasher Memorial 10-miler, which is a, just a 10-mile hike with a, with a backpack. And it's the start of our baton season. I do it in honor of them. Uh, then they didn't care if I was limping or not. Then they didn't care if I was, that was get, get your butt on a bird and get back. So we went back. I was assigned to ODA 726. Uh, it was all 7th group guys, young, hip, Hispanic guys. And now I was the old guy. I was a veteran. And I, I had came from a, the third group guys were very aggressive and very um, determined. And I, I brought that, I tried to bring that aggressive, that aggression to that team. And I, one of the stories I was telling Fernando is uh, I introduced him to an ASP. Even you know what an ASP is, but collapsible baton? <laughs> I, I introduced uh, seventh group guys to that baton, and we used that extensively. And we went out and really got, got after it for another where, year. Dan, where does a dog handler stand in, like an, in a ODA team as far as billet, rank? Does it, is it like a, in a team, how does the rank structure go? Is the, the handler just kind of like the odd guy out, or is he like the assistant team leader, slack man? How does no, no. The, so I know it's probably a different. I was on a, I was on a C team. So I was not on a, an A team. I was assigned to a company. And then the company would assign me the same way, uh, um, like a Ford Air Combat Controller. Perfect. That's exactly what I expect. Okay, yeah. Perfect. So they, they, I was a specialist. I was not directly on the A team. Uh, so we, yeah, this is, this is second deployment to Afghanistan. Went back and got after it. And now I had, I had the dog. I knew the lay of the land. I knew the area. And I was, we kind of went out and got some and, and i don't know how much we can share of that but that was that was the well you guys were that. you guys were super successful yeah. with we were finding we were these ieds successful. and and making these roads safe and these passages safer a lot of what we did we because of the the nature of what we did we took anybody that was wounded could come to our front gate regardless of how you got wounded and we would treat you uh anybody that was hurt we would we would take care of you and a, a kid would come in with uh, the victim of Man Love, Fr Man Love Friday. And we would, we would make it our point to, to figure out who did that and, and make sure that never happened again. Another kid came in, a uh, young woman came in with a baby and the baby had lice and she dipped it in boiling water up to its stomach to get rid of the lice. And that's, that's a monstrous act. And we were like, how could somebody do that? And the fact was she was 13. She, was, she, she had no education. She didn't know any better. And then her 27-year-old husband comes riding in on his motorcycle, uh, you know, trying to, where's my wife? I want her back and blah, blah, blah. And we made sure that the next guy she married was a little more understanding. And exactly. things like that. We were writers of wrongs and doers of good deeds. And that's what we call ourselves. We tried to, 
uh, right wrongs and do good deeds, a lot of it. And we were successful with a lot of our, our operations that we did. I, I was never involved, uh, I take that back, with Operation Namdong 1 and 2 was a, a pretty big op, but it, it wasn't like First Fallujah, where it was battalion size operation, it was, it was group size operations. Ours was a lot smaller, a lot more Well, it's a different operation, intimate. I mean, yeah. that's... Different, different that's mission sets, yeah, right, right. different mission sets. Uh, so I think we did some good work and, did, and had some, some good times. There's some That's what I was going to ask you. Like, wh- when you say you were successful, like, explain how, but I think you clearly... So we would... Clearly, clearly, I mean, you pretty much just did. We, yeah. we, we would identify, okay, we find one IED, and we would do an SS uh, site survival exploitation. We'd dig it up. We'd, we, we'd try to get a signature off it, something that linked that individual to that mom. They were just starting to come out with the, the retinal scans of fingerprints, so we would try to get a fingerprint off it and go after it. The main thing we got is we would find somebody standing around with a shovel. They were so dumb, they'd stand around with a shovel. <laughs> and, no, it's, it's absolutely. Yeah. And, we, and we'd ask them, you know, who... Well, let's be honest, they didn't pick the smart guy to go put the bomb in the Yeah. Hole. I mean... And we would ask them, who, you know, who paid you? Oh, Haji Juma paid me $100 to dig the hole. Where's Haji Juma? So if we, if we whacked this guy, the guy that dug the hole, we would, lose, we would lose our source of information. So we followed that source. We'd follow the next guy would be who paid him to dig the hole, the financier. And we have some, some interesting stories with financiers. We uh, caught up oh, financier yeah, time. And I, I think it's hilarious because, I mean, I, it's not like our units talk to each other. Now we're operating in different theaters at the same time. But when you have good leaders yep. that are using a common sense approach and using the tactical boots on the ground knowledge, we were operating in the same function. Come up with the same conclusions. Yeah, yeah. you're fine. You follow, follow the money, basically. Follow the money. But, yeah. but that's really what it is. You eliminate your source, then it stops there. It, I think it's just funny when you, it clearly shows when you have good leaders. Maybe they took the same classes. I don't know. They, may, they, <laughs> might, they might have been in the same class. It's just but funny that's, to hear how the operation level was. Yeah. So we would, and, and a lot of that didn't involve me directly. No. I mean, I would route plan and I would you know, get out and, and look for the IEDs, but there, there were guys smarter than me and, and, and not more knowledgeable that did a lot of that. And, and thank God for them because they, they did a good job. And oh, right. we would follow everyone, the money and we got to a couple... Everyone of, serves their purpose. Yeah, that, that absolutely. That was your job. You did yep. your, your did job, your job. As a dog Affect stuff the situation. The stuff. Yeah, right. Everyone works together. So we stay, would... Stay in your lane. Tactical yeah. discipline, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's so important. Well, Dan, so important. a lot of people, um, we got feedback after your episode where you kind of alluded to some of the stories with Remy. A lot of people wanted to know Remy's history post... Post military, um, you, I, you know, we've heard the story, but you guys got separated, have that that tough transition. But Remy was a really good dog, and he really took to the new handler, and everything went there. I don't want to get uh, too far ahead, but when you left and you had to leave Remy there, did Remy continue having the same success with the next handler? Yes, In- and I was I was lucky enough to know the the commander, the captain of the guy that got him after me, uh, now Major Zaki. Uh, the, the new handler came in. I transitioned out. I gave him the dog, cried like a baby, uh, handed the dog over. Uh, the next day, I went to go see him, and it completely disrupted training. And I, I just go to say goodbye. You know, and, and next day, I went to see him again and disrupted training. And the third day I, of doing this, the guy's like, you're not helping you're really not, you're not helping out here. So I stayed away for a couple of days. So when you, when we would leave country, you would come back in 
a week and a half, two weeks before you actually fly out. And you, you turn in TA-50, you turn in gear, you, anything you're signed for, you, I mean, it's a, it's a process. It's not, you don't, it's not like the movies where you fly in and out the same day. I don't, I don't think that anybody thinks that. So we would, the transition over after like the fourth day and the guy telling me, hey, stop coming around, you're not helping. Uh, he really bonded with the dog. Remy's real strength is knowing what the handler wanted being able to anticipate that and provide it. And that's what his real strength was. He, I could look at a guy, and, Remy, and if I thought bite him, Remy would bite him. And I could look at a guy and think he's a good guy, and Remy go up and shake his ass at him and let him pet him. And he, he, was, he was so intuitive. That's what made him a great dog. It really was. He was a, a fantastic dog. So he bonded well with the new handler, and I flew off, and the new handler went out, and off they went. And I had, I had not really heard too much about him again. Uh, until fast forward, you want to do that now? Yeah, do it. Uh, you know what? Bef- but before we do, we're going to take a break here. Okay. All right. Um, oh, gonna... leave them hanging. Yes. yes. Yeah. Cliffhanger. We're going to leave them hanging, but don't forget where we left off. Yeah. Got it. All right. So we're going to take a break here and we'll Remy come right shake. back in a minute. <laughs> Remy shake his ass like Steve right now. <laughs> yeah, I got to do Give everybody. This episode of Chicago's Bravest Story is brought to you by Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. Corey, you want to add to that? Oh, I could. You can, that's, I that's how you start off. You say one <laughs> sentence. That's how you start off. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep that. That's the, <laughs> all right. Now I know. All right. That was. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in. Uh, that was brought to you by yeah, Sports she's and great. <laughs> Visit the website. Google it. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Take two. This this episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories is brought to you by Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. Uh, today with us is Dahlia Fami from Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. Hi guys, how are you? Hey Dahlia, looking over, like your your staff over there is trained incredibly. Yeah, we like really really highly train our staff to know how the body moves in motion. So we just you know spend a lot of money training them, making sure that they're well trained to take care of all the patients that we have, but especially those fire and police officers that we treat. Well, Dahlia, I know that uh, you guys have been around for 17 years and we talked that you got your start with your first actual patient was a Chicago fireman. Yeah. You know, we want to uh, let everybody know that if you come to sports and ortho physical therapy, that is, it is covered by our city program for rehabilitation. Absolutely. Yep. We'd love to have everybody come see us. Awesome. Dal, you guys have seven locations. Uh, where can people find you guys at? Well, they can look us up at sportsandortho.net. All our locations are listed there. That's probably the best way to find us. Go check out Dahlia over there. Um, sportsandortho.net. All right. Oh, did you hit the button? Oh, my God. Worth your weight in gold. No. Do you need your phone? All right. Oh. Well, tuck it. Tuck the dip, right? Real quick. All right. Well, we're taking pictures. It's okay. 
we left off at a very critical moment in the story, right? At, does anybody remember where we left off? We might need to remind him his memory is not so good. He calls so, me by my two sisters' names and then says, you know who you are, Asian one. I don't say Asian, I say you know who you are. Well, you know who you are, whoever's room is that clean. Sophia, walk us back into where we were then. All right, so he left and Remy was with Will. No. Is that where we were? Nope. Remy, Remy wound up with. I'm gonna, <laughs> you got it. Let's edit that out. Okay. Remy wound up with another handler. Another handler. That that other handler allowed Remy to get in a dogfight, and Remy was pretty severely injured, and he killed the other dog. And I didn't realize this. I didn't know this till later. Where the the captain of the other team that. Remy was assigned to, told me the whole story and said there was a picture some, somewhere out there and I'd be happy to pay somebody a lot of money for it of my old dog standing atop a carcass of an Afghan fighting dog with steam coming off him with the sun coming up behind him. And I, I would pay a lot of money to see that picture. Uh, he was then medevaced out. There was not a system in place to take care of injured dogs. They didn't have a... Right now, if you're, if you're a... Well, not anymore, but before, if you were a military working dog handler, your dog was injured, there was an entire process to medevac your dog. In 2005, there was not the case. So Remy came back, and he went back to a kennels, uh, I believe in Texas, is the story I got. And... There we go. He spent about a year being uh, neglected. His teeth fell out, he atrophied, and, and got really skinny, and had a pretty tough, pretty tough time. So he went from being like an elite athlete type yep. dog. And yeah, then, to being locked in a cage for over a year. Sores on his arms, or on his uh, and this, launches. And this is while he was still a military working dog. He was no longer, again, everything was very loose and fluid, and they, they put him... Yeah, he just slipped between the cracks, was in a kennel somewhere. Yeah. He was fed, occasionally brushed off, but really ignored for a long period of time. How, how does a military dog like that, how does how, they get discharged from the Army? Like, I think, how does that work back then? I think there's a, there might be a formal process now, I, I, and, and I think in regular military that uh, they give the dog a higher rank than the, than the handler, so the dog has to wait on the, on the, or the handler has to wait on the dog, and we didn't do any of that. It was, the dog was a tool. It was property of, it was property, not a, right. not a person. And me and Freda were just at sidebarring about that. I wonder if they had a rank. And so it's no, back then, not, oh, nowadays, they, I think they do that. They give the dog a rank. I don't doubt that. They, yeah, right back then, it was more of a tool. That makes perfect it, sense. These are tools. Yeah. And, and honestly, if I could have walked in front of that truck with a toaster and held it out and found a bomb, I wouldn't have, I'd never been a dog handler. Yeah. No, it, I totally get it. It was, yeah. that was, uh, the dog becomes that because as much as I love dogs, as, as much as dogs are cool, they're not as cool as the guy in the back. Honest, honest to God, I would trade every Remy in the world for another fracker, a chance to have Fracker and Flasher back. Sorry. Did you, when, you know, f fast forward to when you actually met the guy in Wisconsin who okay. wound up with Remy. Yeah. Did you actually talk to him and say, how did you come about yeah. getting him? What, yep. what was that process? How did he get, go about so getting him? I 
I was at the firehouse one day, and like all firemen were doing, sitting at the table, monkeying around with my phone under, my, under the table, and I saw a picture of some hero working dog uh, with my dog and my picture, and somewhere up in, it was in Michigan. And I thought that somebody was like stealing my identity or you know, stolen valor, I didn't know what it was. I was like, what the hell? And I looked it up and I, I want to do another caveat back because that, that cool guy that we talked about, that was a, the, the guy that influenced everything to, does it matter? What? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Are we on now? Okay. Yeah. The, the guy that, uh, that made all this happen, his name was uh, Master Sergeant Bobby Farmer. So he married family of his own. I was married family of my own and saved my life on a couple, in a couple of ways. The first one was noticing and, and seeing something that other, everybody else didn't see that, that took seven months at Kandahar, monkeying around, going on little local patrols to be able to give me the opportunity to get out there and really show what I could do. Uh, second time is when Remy nosed a, uh, there was an inset in a wall with a curtain in front of it. And there was a big, it was about the size of a bowling ball of heroin. And behind there was a hand grenade. And the dog nosed the curtain, the ball of heroin fell out, and the hand grenade fell out. And he immediately picked up the grenade, threw it out the door, bang, it went off, and then he goes, grenade! <laughs> so, and everybody came walking up behind him, you son of a... Nobody was happy about that. But uh, saved my life. And he reminds me of it almost, almost daily. He reminds me, I saved your life. Uh, so fast forward. No, no one ever brought up the heroin after that, huh? Yes. That's fine. What's that? Yeah. You tell it? Yeah. You want to tell it? I think you should. It's up to you. Uh, if, if I was aggressive, I learned that from Bobby. He was called Shotgun Bobby for a reason. Uh, <laughs> Why is that? They had a, a, we set up a traffic control point where we would interdict vehicles that were coming towards us. We'd stop them, search them, uh, and have some type of interaction with them. I, got, I have a couple funny stories about traffic control points that we did. Uh, the one of them was we stopped somebody and they had a duffel bag full of thousands of dollars. American. And it was just me, American. Bobby, another guy, and Remy. And we, we, brought everything up, and we're, uh, we're uh, taking pounds onto the trigger. And from behind us, I heard a bunch of guys going, what you guys got? And it was three <laughs> of the grunts. <laughs> what do you guys got? And knowing that, that we could have probably kept a secret, but those three idiots could not have. <laughs> we all went, it's your lucky day. And then when they went up and they go, that's a bunch of money. We should kill this motherfucker and take all his money. We went, okay, good. We made the right move. <laughs> all right, Jeb. Yeah. Okay. So you sold no. a big bag of heroin, and <laughs> so, and it did, and another traffic control point. There was a vehicle uh, rushing towards us at a at a fast, rapid speed, and the grunts were a little nervous about shooting on it and worried about rules. Not because they were they're sissies, but they're worried about rules of engagement. Say out of waffles. Good night, Nick Felber. Bye, Nick Felber. <laughs> Nick Felber, everybody. <laughs> oh, yeah. They were worried about getting Thanks in trouble for, not for the having rule. one beer yeah. while you're here. <laughs> so they were worried about rules of engagement. And Bobby was like, no, screw all that. Picked up his shotgun and unloaded uh, a bunch of rounds into the windshield, which turned the inside into a, a bunch of paint spray on the inside. 
And from then forth, he was known as Shotgun Bobby. It was a, it was a righteous kill. It was, it was a, they were moving forward. They, were, they had weapons. They were going to, they meant to do us harm, but we took care of the situation. <laughs> <laughs> what about it? That's where you left off before. Yes. So <laughs> I have a lot of Dan, what? Bobby, and Remy stories. Tell one story. So hang on, everybody. Really Sophia's putting Dan back on track. It's, All right. It's, yeah, it's really. He can't tell a story without caveating about five times. So if you can't hear me, I'm whispering in his ear saying, you left off here, you left off here. This is, remember, it's, this is what they asked. It's, it's great practice because when he. I mean, I do outrank him. Yeah, so. I mean. <laughs> As you just should. Dan, As I would just be should. like, That's yeah, great but... Brian Wozniki said, see how that goes for you. <laughs> <laughs> so... I would just say, but I got blown up. You know, yeah. I would just like... Yeah. <laughs> so, we, we looked at... I, I found out that this was from a, a newspaper article uh, written about Remy by a, a woman named Priscilla Miller. And so I called, called Bobby up, who... This, the caveat to this Bobby story is, is for whatever reason, uh, he thought that I had people, a lot of people that from my military careers thought that I had my act together for whatever reason, would come by her house and hang out and, and interact with Sophia and, and us. Uh, you mean a lieutenant trader? So he came by one time and he had been, he'd been blowing up for, on his ninth tour. <laughs> uh, ninth tour. And he had a, a chunk of metal went through his right butt cheek and out his left abdomen and took a couple feet of intestine with him and he was messed up. And he came over to her house and he'd, he'd been home and his wife had left him and things were pretty rough for him. And he saw my sister-in-law who is apparently a very attractive. And <laughs> so now Shotgun Bobby is, is Uncle going. Bobby. Oh. <laughs> yes. So my... So my army buddy married my wife's sister, <laughs> which sounds really cool until that. That's until, yeah, until Christmas that. Eve. <laughs> until Christmas Eve comes. Yes. Shock him. So I called him. Fucker. I called him and said, "Hey, somebody's somebody's got our dog," and he's, "Let's go get it and steal him back." So easy shotgun. Yeah. By the yeah, by the time by the end of the day, we we got the full story, and Remy had been rehabbed in a in a facility in Texas and then he'd been adopted and he went to live with uh, uh, the Davis family, Pam and Doug Davis. Uh, Doug Davis was a Vietnam era Air Force handler and he was one of those guys that did the, that did the security outside the bases and not one base that he did security around was ever attacked while him and his dogs were out there. And he is a, and he is a prince of a man, a great guy. And he took care of Remy and gave him the, the life and retirement that. And this is that, the third uh, that, time Dan cried. No, no, it's not. He's weeping right now. No, I'm not. No, Call me Maury Povich. Dan, Dan, Dan how to make kinda, you feel? Dan, it's kind of cool how, I don't know if you realize, you just kind of went full story. Yeah. Like you just saw how the dog handling started with the Air Force guys in, the, in Vietnam and everything. I didn't know. The Air Force. I didn't know the Air Force part of this guy. I, I mean, I know the story how he got him and everything. Yep. That's fucking. That's crazy, man. That's yeah. it's a good story. It, well, yeah. it took a guy like this to realize the benefit and like what Remy was actually worth. Yes, and he really treated him with that respect that he, he deserved. He gave him. Uh, they had a. They they were an older couple. Their family's grown up. Uh, their one son is a fighter pilot, and they have uh, grandkids, and they live up in a big house in Michigan, and. 
they wanted to fill their house. Well, let's not. I don't want to skip over the part. Tell us about that reunion. You hadn't yeah. seen Remy for how long when you drove up yeah. there? Because you you heard you drove up there. Yeah. And we drove up with you get out of the car like do you see him as you're driving up do, do they have him out so this is kind of a and it i'll tell the whole story so <laughs> i we drove up within a week of then we've got pictures of it with me you were and freya were there but so uh Lach wasn't born yet or she was a baby yeah, so we drove up immediately and re- reconnected with them, connected with the family. Um, they were a wonderful family. We, we, everybody, we had a great reunion. Uh, somehow, a, an, there was a woman named Priscilla Miller. She had got a hold of this and wrote a book about it. And there's a book about our time and our uh, adventures in Afghanistan and then Remy's life after that. It's called Serendipity and a Dog Named Remy. So, so they knew who you were. When they you called them. Th- when I called them, I said, my name's Dan Trader. Uh, I have, you have a dog named Remy? And they're like, yes. <laughs> and they said, Remy's my dog. That's me in the pictures that, that are posted. Oh, so they were like, oh, my gosh. And then I, don't, I think it was before, or I didn't have the technology to FaceTime or whatever, but we, we made the connection. <laughs> Probably just too dumb. I'm sure they had it. But uh, we had made that connection, and, and, and I relayed the story, and he relayed to me what had happened with Remy after... He left with me, and we met back up, and he was... They're like, cool, that's a really interesting story about Remy that you had a part of. Um, we're not interested in you at all. Keep talking about Remy. <laughs> and it, well, and, yeah. when you, you go there, does Remy immediately recognize you? Oh, yeah. He knew, yep. and you could tell, like, and he looked good, he was healthy, they, they, they got him back yep. to... They showed me pictures. Uh, he, had, he had lost a lot of weight, and he had sores on his on his elbows and his hips and he, he'd aged and he'd lost all his teeth all his teeth had to be pulled right. out what uh, do you think remy was saying saying to himself when he looked at you he's like i feel yeah, bad you, you, you loved me yeah. Yeah. Re- remy's like i feel bad but he, this motherfucker old. <laughs> <laughs> what has this guy bad. gone through since i seen him last <laughs> yeah we we bonded very well um the story had somehow got known to a television, let alone television show, hosted by Arlie Army uh, called Saving Private Canine. And we wound up being the subject of that show. Uh, so we reenacted the, the meeting, and, and the, that's, on, that's a TV show out there somewhere. We reenacted it, and it was, it was great. But to be honest, Doug and I had talked all for, we've been friends for a year now. And I'd been to see him, and he'd been to see us, and we'd had a lot of... And, and you, con- you continued to visit with Remy oh, yeah. long yeah. after that, and... I was there when he died. I was there when he passed. And, but he gave, you a phone, he gave you a phone call saying that Remy wasn't doing well, yep. and you probably should come up here. Yeah. He, we talked about it. I mean, we, he was getting older. Um, he was, he'd 14 years. He'd lived a good life. Uh, we, he gave me a call right around Christmas and said, you should probably come up. It, it looks about the time he's in pain. We, we're having trouble. How, how old was Remy by that time? 14. So that's, it's pretty... He had a good life. Yeah. 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 He, had a, he had a good run, and we went up, and I brought a little flag, and you assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. And, fl- and I brought the flag. I got it. Come so, on. 
put the flag over him, and they. So he, they, he had he had passed on your way up there. No, no, we we came. We put he was the still flag, alive when. We put he, the, yeah, we put okay. the flag over him, and he, he kind of moved his head. And I, I like to think he recognized me, and then they gave him a shot and let him. So you were the me. last thing Remy saw. Yeah, that's awesome. And we put the we put the flag over him, and salute, yeah. buddy. To Remy. Balling. He's nah. out of control balling right now. So thank God Sophia's here to comfort him. <laughs> so, Do you remember that? Do you remember when he came down and, and Bobby came into town and Will was there? We had, a, we had a reunion in Naperville. The Davises came down, Bobby flew in, Will was there, and Major Zofke, no, this was, yeah, this was before it. And Major Zofke was there, who was the captain of the guy that had Remy after that. So we have a we had a real nice reunion of all of Remy's That's military awesome. handlers at one point. It was, it was awesome. That was a really neat time. Sophia, what was, what was your exposure to Remy? Did, were you, did you get a chance to really get to know him really good? So I, was, I came with him when we went down to Michigan um, to see him, but not really, yeah. to be honest. Um, I, but I did see you know, the bond that they had. Just ne- it never went away. It, like Instantly, Remy ran up to him and... Uh, you could tell that that, yeah. that was the relationship they had. I mean, he saved my dad's life so right, many right. times. So yeah. I'm just as grateful and, for the dog. And not as, just your dad's life, but many, f- yeah, finding those IEDs like he did, I, I would imagine countless other people Remy really saved, right? Which, I mean, that was his mission. The, yeah. the, I posted... Uh, I think I did a Facebook post of it that he had passed and put a picture up, and it was my most commented on, liked, and, and whatever of that year. It was guys that the outpouring for him was amazing. He, he had garnered a lot of... Those dogs are heroes. Yeah, we, he... We got to find had, that picture. He was, <laughs> he was the... He was unapologetically a badass dog. He, he had bit a lot of people. He was a warrior. Uh, he was a, a great dog, and everybody recognized that. And everybody really, I mean, he bit me going, you know, multiple times, but, <laughs> but he. Does that go on the record as a bite? If he no, bites? it did okay. not. All right. It did it not. It should have. His, his numbers would have been double. It should have. The seventh group guys wanted to do, like, some innovative things, like methods of insertion. They, they wanted to do boats, and they wanted to do. They wanted to do uh, airborne operations, and they said, "Let's let's bring let's jump jump the dog. You you're airborne qualified. The dogs are let's get the dog airborne qualified. They can do it." So they made it. What they, does dog airborne school look like? <laughs> so we flew well, back to, to do five jumps, and we we flew back to Kandahar, and they had had a they had had a special rig made up for him where he, he hung where the reserve hangs. So he was like right in between my legs. So you didn't have a reserve then. Uh, I, yeah, I had a reserve. <laughs> Remy I'm sorry, was not, where the, not reserve where the ruck was. I'm sorry, where the ruck was. He was, he was in between yeah. legs. Yeah, not, not where the reserve was. The reserve, not where the reserve was, where the ruck was. So he, he was in between my legs, and we did what's called successive approximation, where we walked up to a helicopter and walked back. And we walked up to a, a prop plane and walked back, and he was fine. We got in. There's, it's very loud in, in, inside those planes. It's not like a jet with... It's insulated. It's very loud. And he was fine. We got in, and we flew up in the air and landed, and he was fine. 
We said, okay, let's, let's try tomorrow. So we got up, and he was fine, and the door opened, and that gust of wind hit him, and he went, ah! <laughs> Did he have a muzzle on? No. I, I had, Do you I regret had, that now? I have no permanent scars, but it'll be all right. So we got to the door, and we went, and we went out the door, and he immediately locked onto my inner thigh. And, and I howled, and he howled, and we howled all the way down. Okay, I have a question about the logistics of that. How do you conduct a, a PLO, How do you conduct a parachute landing fall with the dog? Do you have a different type of parachute yeah, than when? Okay. Had a, had a, okay. I love the Sophia Trader High Road. We had, we had a. We would flare. We had practiced it. We would. We didn't have a tower. We we, we didn't have like a sixty foot tower we could do. So we just. We had a. We, we I would flare and walk out of it. I I would actually prefer you address here as an officer when you say that, ma'am. There you go. So, and to be honest with you, we didn't put a lot of thought in it. We, it was, again, you'll be all right. You'll be, you'll be fine. <laughs> How bad could this be? Yeah. And again, that ended the experiment. And, and Right. Did you have to write something that say, I recommend a muzzle and a tennis ball? No, I just put right. a tennis ball in his mouth and a muzzle over okay. and, and did it. Yeah. The, we, the problem was he wrote ball. And he didn't, he didn't specify, and then that's where we ended. So we wrote, we, we, we wound up... I said, that was kind of an old man joke, Sophie. Yeah. I'm surprised you got it into that one. <laughs> we wound up writing the... We wound up writing the TTPs for use of a explosive ordinance or, or dual-purpose dog in a combat theater. So did, we you wrote ever, did you ever do any combat jumps with them? Never. No? Okay. No. I have, I have zero combat jumps and zero with Remy. No. So just, never did. For the most part, there's no theater for it anymore. 648. 648 jumps. You've conducted. Yes. Dan, did you do Halo? Yes. Holy shit. Yeah. With the dog? Well, only the ones with the dog. <laughs> right. One time. <laughs> okay. All right. So... We, we, let's get to the point now um, where you, get, you start working your way into the fire service. Yes. So I, I had gotten out, and I didn't want a real job. Like, I didn't want to <laughs> make big ones into small ones or sit at a desk or anything like that. No. You didn't and have I, any family in the fire service? No, no, no family in the fire service. And I asked a bunch of my friends of mine that were cops, and I said, which, which test? And everybody goes, not this one. <laughs> and they said, fire. Fire's the way to go. And I'm, I'm old, I'm 40 at the time, so there's no way I'm gonna go to the city of Chicago. And my wife and I had talked about, maybe we could get on paper, get a divorce, and we had a, a condo downtown, and maybe, the, and we like, no. So yeah, Lincolnwood offered, offered, <laughs> offered Fredo and I a job. So we went to the academy together. They offered Dan a job, and Dan got me a job. Yeah. <laughs> you guys were a package What's Steve that? wants to talk about himself, oh, hold on. So, hold on, so you, you come back home, Yes. And, and what do you do? You're, I, you're talking to buddies, figuring out what you want to do, and you start going through what you, you're figuring the fire service. So that's when you start taking your yes. EMT and. Yeah, I got my I got my EMT and I got my EMT and paramedic at Malcolm X. Okay, so knowing that you want to kind of go the, the paramedic route, going down the fire service route, that's when you start like going over to. Yes. Um, and Sophia, where are you? How old are you at that time? 
Little Sophia. What year was that for you? Oh, seven. We were class. So I was probably nine. Okay. Have you ever seen the movie Ladder 59 where the firefighter falls through the roof? No. <laughs> Is that that movie? Ladder 49? 49. 59. Sorry, Ladder? 49. 49. Yeah. So I watched that movie and he told me he was going to be a firefighter and I cried for about three days. <laughs> Even though, you know, he'd been blown up and all yeah, these yeah, other like, things. And but this, the, yeah. Like this, the, the, you're like, oh, okay. Like, no problem. But, <laughs> yeah. Falling through the roof was probably the... the the nicest thing that ever happened to your dad, if that was, yeah. you know. Especially for his melon. So, um, so, so you get back home and you're, you're going yeah. the fire service route and uh, you end up going to the University of Malcolm X. Yes. And um, University. Yeah. And that's Malcolm X, Malcolm X College. Malcolm X College. That's, and that's where you met this mustachioed fella over here, Stephen Hurley. Yes, it is. Huh? One, of the, one of the things I wanted to say when, when Sophia was talking about the community that uh, the military had and, and how everybody supports the community. I got a really good lesson on that as a rider. Uh, I was on Ambulance 15 as a rider and we went out and it was somebody, we picked up an older, older gentleman. He was having uh, some cardiac issues. He was, he was Brady and he said, I don't want to go to that hospital. And, and we were arguing back and forth and he said, well, just take me to house. I don't remember what house it was. Just take me to this house. And, and the, the medics were like, what, what are you talking about? And he goes, yeah, my son's over at that house. And you could hear the brakes screech. And, they said, and, and it went from a routine call to let's get this guy everything he needs <laughs> because his son is a fireman. And I said, wait a minute, I get this. I, I, it like, no, this is some, I, I can figure, I got this. Yeah, that brotherhood, it was there. So it's the, I don't think that there isn't another career, there isn't another uh, environment where that happens. And that, and that really sold me on the fire service. I said, this is it. I get it. I got it. The, that's, the, that's, the, that's the run that made the connection for you between the military and the fire service? Yes. That yeah. is the run that made the connection for me. That, that reinforced that that brotherhood is there. And it's in, it's in the fire service. Yep. Well, what about you, Oz? Well, what did that for you? I, mine's a kind of like a reverse. We were kind of talking about this when we first got here. Yeah. Uh, kind of reverse. I knew ahead of time what the fire service was. My, right, that's true. Like you're, my, yeah. my goal growing up was to join the Marine Corps, go to Iraq, do some things. Because the first Gulf War, I didn't think it was going to actually happen, but uh, come back and be a Chicago fireman. It ended up working out that way, but I used to go ride as a kid, go visit my, my friend's parents at one, Engine 117. So fast forward, I got the chance to go back there. It was like... Christmas morning, like dream come yeah. true. I couldn't believe it. Well, so I, I had knew I knew what the fire service was before, and when I got out of the Marine Corps, I had a meeting with. Uh, I talked about it in the other podcast. He was here earlier, uh, Chief now Pat Maloney, where he kind of gave me that kick in the ass and uh, brought me back to reality. Where it, it, and that that was the same moment Dan was just talking about. I know you've had some other serious runs on your ride time. I thought that might have been it too, but oh and, yeah. Uh, Definitely gave well, me just that, think like, that, shit, this, like, this, this guy's still does take, exist. This guy's yeah. taking care of me just, like, yeah. back home. Yeah, yeah, but what people don't realize is Dan was saying Ambulance 15 and Brian's talking about 117. The ironic part is they're both the same house. Yeah. So Dan's yeah. inspiration actually took place in the same firehouse wow. that was yeah. took place and the same firehouse that, Mr. Casey, how many years was that over there? 33. 33 years. So... Oh. That, that house. I did my <laughs> and, summer and, internship with 15. And, and, and Fredo did a summer. So 
there's something in the water over there for sure. I was lucky enough to go to the same gym with Mr. Casey, and I recognize you from, from I mean, you're, yeah. And I introduced myself, hi, Mr. Casey, my name's Dan, I'm a fireman. And he said, really, kid? And I learned more. Let me tell you a little something about being a fireman. I, honest to God, I learned so much just from, you know, you know watching you lift and, and hearing stories and talking about it, so I appreciate everything you taught me. Thank you. Thank you for your service, Mr. Yeah. Casey. <laughs> so speaking of iron events, today's a very special day. Is I was going to drop this on you later. So October 5th, right? This would not have all come together without one very special man's birthday, who's today. Guess whose birthday it is today, Vince? Uh, your birthday? Not my birthday. I don't know. Because I had nothing to do with it. I don't know whose birthday it is. Chris Zulke's birthday. Is oh! And we got to thank Chris, Chris Zulke. <laughs> if it wasn't for Chris Zulke, oh, this God. never would have left the ground. You're a son of a bitch. Chris, thank you so much for everything you've done to us. Thank, thanks for uh, putting this together, Chris. Yeah, you're the yeah. best, Chris. So, so, do you want to go into that and how that, or do you want no, to go? Like, let's, let's bring let, it let, back. No, right. let's no. Let's just bury that and bury the shovel. <laughs> All right, we're 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 so close to the finish line here with Dan. We're so, so close. So we get out of Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. You've completed your paramedic with Steve, who is a, a great guy. And um, <laughs> after after that's done, you Why is get a laugh when that's it. You get assigned to, uh, or not you get assigned, but you end up getting a job as a, um, as a, a firefighter paramedic with, with a suburb just close to Chicago. And that's where you meet these guys, right? That's where you met, uh, well, you, you knew Alfred already, but yep. that's where you met Waz. Um, can you tell us anything about, about that town? My, my first year at Lincolnwood was, it was an eye-opener for me because there was so much more to the fire service than what I thought. And... Brian Wasnicki and the great Timmy Cicero were very instrumental in yeah, the, the, the handsome and disease-free Timmy Cicero <laughs> were instrumental in teaching me what it meant to be a good medic. And if you know Timmy, Timmy is a goof. And I was like, who is this guy? Why, why am I stuck with him? And then we, we got to a, a difficulty breathing call, the typical 86-year-old difficulty breathing. They had about 10 different things going on, 10 different processes. And he handled it as professionally and as, as well as I've, I've ever seen anybody do it. And I, well, wait a minute. This guy, can learn, I can learn from this guy. He's really good. <laughs> and, I, and I closed my mouth and opened my ears. And from between Waz teaching me what it meant to be a good fireman and Timmy Cicero what it meant to be a good medic, I turned out I, I, I maybe learned half as much as I, <laughs> as I should, but they were great, great teachers. Uh, my time, my first couple of years at Lincolnwood were kind of a demolition derby for me. And I'd like to thank Waz for crashing right after I did and got me off the hook for that. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> oh, thank you for your service again, Brian. <laughs> so uh, the fire service is a learning career and things happen. People get in accidents with rigs. People get in, people do dumb stuff. And, and one of the big things I learned is take responsibility, raise your hand. Yeah, that's my fault. I did it. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to sweep it under the rug. Take responsibility and learn from it. And that's one of the, one of the, the big lessons uh, that you guys really hammered into me. And you were, at, you were a, an older new guy. Yes, I was an older new guy. And 
how was that dynamic working? Because Brian's significantly younger than you. Significant. <laughs> so, I what, love what was Vince that like? Uh, I wrote on you, Dan. It's, it's fucking. I, I never get the opportunity because they're always high roading me. <laughs> That's fair. That's so, fair. Was, I was, was, I was that, a was bit that of a scarecrow tough, at Lincolnwood. I, where, I, you're okay with that dynamic. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I once I figured out that that you had something to teach me and why is that something to teach me? I was good at. I tried to learn. Yeah. So so much when, so that he maybe got a nickname, right, Bry? Which one? So much so that he was fine taking the role of like a new guy as an old guy. Oh, he had that a, he got a nickname, huh? He had quite a few nicknames. The thing uh, about well, that, when he any, came any to that you could say on the radio? What's that? <laughs> any radio. that you could actually say on the radio? <laughs> we take a request. I'm not sure which one you're looking for. <laughs> but the thing with Dan, when he came though, he uh, it, it, there was a not an awkwardness because that's not the right word. There was a uniqueness to it because he was older, but yeah. he super old. He was. All ears, and we talked about this before. It, he wanted to learn. He, it, it, the age difference did, it did not matter whatsoever. Yeah. And there was, I think, between me and him because we learned a little bit about each other's backgrounds. It's kind of like we got to hold on a second. Let's figure this shit out. Not necessarily who's the alpha. Let's make sure we're both legit first. You know. Yeah. So we did like you know a couple initial questions. Like oh, okay, that interesting. Okay. He, Okay, wait a minute. He knows what he's talking about. Like, Brian, okay. How much time did you have over there before when Brian and uh, not much, no? maybe three years? But it's different there. It's different right. in the suburbs. Right. You were at a, you were at another suburb with guys River Grove. Yeah. Can we say it? Okay. Yeah. You were you were at another suburb that was yeah. filled with really legit guys. So I feel like you would gain information and knowledge and come I, back and I feel like that's where I got yeah, yeah. most of it right and, and come back and share that and and to be honest, we didn't have. Three fires a year? Two fires a year? I mean, how many legit fires at Lincoln? It in wasn't town, th- th- four would be a lot, yeah. 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 So we, didn't, we, didn't, we weren't out slaying the dragon. No, we, were, no. we were a typical suburban department, and you brought that fire experience. So when we did have one, we were just talking about the one that went perfect. We the, talked about the, the training because yeah. that, that's the exact reason why training should right. be as realistic as possible and because we, the lack of actual... The injuries. three of us... And I think that this is one of the reasons we bonded. Alfredo, Waz, and I, and there was a couple other guys that that I love to train. I love to get in gear. I love to work hard. I love to sweat. And and it was it's not work for me to be outside chopping on a roof in full gear with guys I love. That's fun. I I love love trying something new. Like holy shit, that was that was fucking retarded. That's stupid. Yeah. Let's never do that again. Okay, great. We learned that this sucks. Yep. Yeah. Let's go to something else, anything. Yeah. I don't, I, I, we'll, we, we would try anything. And, and that was the thing that I think we really bonded over is, is yeah. loving. I, I got how important the job was, even if I didn't know how to, how to do everything. And I got the service aspect. I remember we, we were at a fire with, I, I was on a different shift, and I broke all the windows. And the chief had told me to break the windows. And you said, why didn't you just... Raise them up. <laughs> I say, because the chief told me. He goes, oh, okay, that's... But I did what the chief... I did exactly what the chief told me to do, to, to ventilate, but... I learned that lesson at the other... Yeah. At the other and that's, yeah, yeah. and that's what you would bring, that, that experience, because we didn't know. We were... We'd go in like bulls and, you know, break the windows and... Brian, I, you I, definitely didn't learn that there. No, I did. I, <laughs> I no, you did. It was, uh, <laughs> I'll tell the story quickly, because yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it applies. Yeah. It was one of those days where we had a four-man engine in the other place, 
and it was two guys with suburban, no experience, and two guys with and very busy city time with with a lot of experience. So we're, we're joking like, there's no way we're getting a fire now because we have a good guys to learn from. Right. We got a fire in Elmwood Park, and uh, the other guy and the other experienced guy went to the second floor and did a search, and me and the other guy went to the first floor and did a search. I started. I went. I went to the right. I started taking out windows, and I hear on the other side, "Hey, dickhead, take it easy." What? And I look <laughs> over, and he not only is he three windows past me, he's taking he's taking them out, taking them apart, flipping them over, putting them down to the side. I'm like, wait a minute. Just just pulling the the pulling them out, like pulling yeah. the sash out, pulling yeah. the clips yeah, off, pulling, pulling the sash. Them out. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, all right, well, wait a minute. So after you do I that? come back, and yeah. I told the guy, I'm like, hey. You're never gonna guess what happened. Like I never expected this. One guy works in Inglewood. One guy works in Austin. I'm like, I never expected this. You know? He goes, you know what we did on the second we did search? We we threw a tarp over the guy's computer. So well, it turns out the guy that lived in Elmwood Park was a an architect that worked out of his house, and they threw a tarp all all over his computer yeah. equipment and stuff. I mean, I don't know what it helped him with right. and everything, and it really put that was like that click moment for me where it put stuff Just in perspective. In, yeah. Not only was the guy next to me faster than me, he was. Better. I mean, he was taking the stuff apart. He was saving energy, yep. saving it for later, and he was more efficient than me. I'm like, oh, God fucking light bulb. Yeah. Hold I was on a say, second. Ain't that a fucking bulb? No. Is a fucking, yeah. <laughs> yeah. God damn. No, the, the thing about Dan, though, when he came, we had that, like, bull moment where we're like, hold on, let's yeah. test each other yeah. real quick. But it, that went guy? away real fast. I had two things about Dan that I, I always got a kick out that I really liked. Two, I could tell him the same story every shift and it, he, it would be great because he couldn't he wouldn't remember it because his memory is just a little bit worse than mine and, that's that, the and one. that gave him what that's nickname the one, and gave him what nickname what was it again I don't, first day I'm forgetting the nickname first day Dan right first day first day Dan first day Dan <laughs> but he was telling me hey, we kind of skipped over I think a, probably a fairly significant part in his life where he used to fight <laughs> I mean he yeah it wasn't like professional, but it was for fun. It was like mixed martial arts. He'd fight for fun, and he's telling me this stuff. And I tell him one day, I'm like, I was at one point, I was younger and more aggressive. I was like, Dan, I kind of want to fight you. <laughs> this is that. This is that. We're having a cigar at, at night at the firehouse, and he looks at me, and it was like a kid in, on Christmas morning who just got his like, gift that he asked Santa for. He just looked so happy. To hear me say that, I immediately thought to myself, I really don't want to fight this guy anymore. Oh, no. I've never seen someone, someone excited about this. I think and no, Dan looks forward to anybody saying, I want to fight you. Between Fredo Vince, Vince and Dan and me, I think we had something kind of special there at the time. And not to take anything away from the other guys, like, like, like Timmy Cicero and everything, that weren't the military guys, because we did have a good crew there at the time guys that want to learn. It was one of those unique, unique places, and I've talked about this currently now where I'm at. We, we have a younger shift. Um, we were learning together, necessarily, than learning from somebody else. But there's, there's positives and negatives to, to anything. But uh, we definitely had a good, good run there, for sure. Absolutely. A Al, you've been quiet over there for a little bit. I I so, mean, these guys are saying all the same shit I would say, so right. I'm just letting them go. Only they sound better, don't I get it? They sound so, way better. So um, did, did you and Danny work together much, or uh, you guys were on different shifts, I know, for a we long were on time. Different, were we together their first year for six months, something like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, the, the thing that did it for me, I mean, I know Vince is going to hate hearing this, but, like, we went to get our air packs before... Academy, and it was a <laughs> Sunday or something. Vince doesn't like air packs. 
No, that's not the part. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we went to get our air packs like on Sunday before we started Academy, and it must have been Redshift or something. Chris was there with whoever, and we could have just grabbed our air packs and, and left, but they came out there to the bay floor and ran us through how to work an air pack, put it on, all this other stuff for like two good hours. Yeah, it was like a Sunday too, right? You yeah, said, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It was like a Sunday, and that was one of those things where you know, the same kind of thing in the military. You want to learn something, kid? I got gotcha. you. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I could sit here and watch the same damn movie, you know, Lethal Weapon for the 19th time, or yeah. I can come out there and, and teach you something, and that was really cool. Like, it reminded me of, you know, the military, where if you want to learn something, somebody will come out and teach you. Those good leaders will come out and teach you. So, as a lieutenant, a guy certainly academy on Monday comes in on a Sunday. What do you do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, 100%. You, you find someone else to do it, right? Oh, for sure. No. I mean, I mean that's what we're I've, yeah. I've bitched about this before. <laughs> I hate when in the fire service a leader doesn't put his gear on. Right. And go out and actually do it with the guys. You yeah. know, I, that pisses me off. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, no, I'm, I'm out there. I'm putting my gear on. I'm, I'm training with guys. And that probably started, you know, like that day and also in the military. It fucking sucks, man. It sucks like, 100%, yeah. I, dude, yeah. I realize all the time, I'm like, God damn, I got to, like, beat this guy up the stairs? I'm old as fuck. <laughs> like, this kid's, like, 22, and he's, like, he's, he's fucking ripping right out of me. I'm fucking doing No, I don't need a break after the ninth stairwell. So, Dan, um, how many years were you at Lincolnwood? Ten years. Ten years? Ten years. Damn, I didn't know. Oh, eight to 18. And what, what eventually led you to leave there? Uh, eh. as great as the link, Lincolnwood was a guys come in very motivated. It's their first gig while they're waiting to go to the city or another department. And it wound up kind of being a revolving door. A lot of guys came in and out. There's guys that stayed, uh, Timmy Breslin, great, great engineer, great, uh, great fireman, great supporter of the show. Uh, <laughs> Mm. And it, it just it ran its course yeah. for you. What's that? It just ran its course for you over there. Yeah, it did. Yeah, I, I, I'm. Yeah, I'm going to say that it ran its course. Okay. Um, I interacted with my my now business partner Larry Martin was a police officer there as a lieutenant, and we interacted quite a bit uh, in Lincolnwood. We wound up being the hybrid targeted violence task force, the two of us, and we we would do public ed for the schools, for the library, for the synagogues in, in the area. And, we, and Larry really taught me how to interact with people, that that's the important part, those relationships. So we would go out and, and meet with the school and talk to them. So the first time you go into the school and you meet a teacher and you, you know how to make entry into the school, or you go to the library and you know how to, where this room is, where that is, uh, it's not the first time you're out there doing it. So we would go out and show our faces and we would conduct classes for them when we would interact with them. And unfortunately now, I don't know how much of that's going on, but th that was a very good lesson from you teaching me how to, you know, th that people are the, the big, the big, uh, that's who pays our salary. That's who we work for. And to be that guy, to go out and serve the public. And so when I left Lincolnwood. That's, that's Mr. Kevin Casey that Dan pointed at. No, Larry Martin. Oh, oh, not you, Kevin Casey. So, 
So when I left Lincolnwood, Larry and I, and I had a circumference uh, kind of a roundabout route to doing that. Um, we started our company, Foresight Integrated Solutions, which is a, a public safety company, and we still work to this day in that area with one of my former medic students uh, who runs an ambulance company up there now. So we, we still have connections in that town. Okay. And you've, you've, you, you transitioned out of the fire service. You're in your, um, your new job. Mm -hmm. At what point, Sophia, do you tell Dan that you're going to join the Army? Oh, this is a backup a little. Oh, <laughs> so there's, there's two significant... things. Two sig That's a good transition. Two significant things I wanted to talk about prior to that. Yeah. The first is um, so the mental health issues that I had and, and, and became aware of. Um, the mental health piece of having a, a you know, 20 year military career, uh, multiple combat tours, it takes a significant toll on you mentally and physically. Yeah, we talked about that on the last podcast you were right. on, that you were going through some rough times. I did. And you went through that program with the football player. You yep. guys were, had that TV show together, right? Yep. And that place really helped you, and we put out that, that information during your podcast. So... Hey guys, uh, you know what? We're just gonna talk a minute about this awesome beer we've been drinking from Illuminate Brew Works. Um, right now, I'm, I'm drinking Trust, and uh, this thing is—it's just a really good lager. Um, we're going—we're kind of running the gauntlet here. We got some—we uh, got some awesome beer here, so we're just running through each one of them. Uh, I tried, Vince. You tried that Orange Sunshine too, right? Orange Sunshine is my new favorite summer beer. Yeah. Thanks to Brian at Illuminated Brew Works. If you guys are looking for an amazing craft beer, and, you know, I'm not a big craft beer guy, and I was a little hesitant, and then when we started popping yeah. things open, uh, it was like Christmas. Yeah, we, we've been firing pretty good on we, these we, <laughs> we, We've been going through these yeah. like so, crazy. Bar Chicago's Bravest Stories is doing all right over here. Right. Well, the Illuminated Brew Works beer has saved us from drinking all the whiskey that we have here because... Uh, We've been drinking more beer than we have whiskey. It might not even there. be whiskey guys anymore. Yeah. Um, and uh, that Creeper one was pretty good too, right? Vince, Creeper was it. good. And we're fresh out of astronaut juice. In yeah, there. if we had astronaut juice, that is my top one uh, from these guys. If you're looking for an amazing craft beer, you can find it at Benny's Norwood Park Wine and Spirits Beer Temple, which is right down the street here from the studio. So if you're uh, picking up some Illuminated Brew Works at Beer Temple, stop in, have a drink with us. Bottle and cans, uh, Capones, Totos, and Ryan's, Rayans, R-A-Y-A-N-S. Yeah, these are all bars they're selling in. And uh, you guys would notice it for sure once you walk in because they've got some really cool artwork on each of their cans. Um, so, again, just, just look for the, the eye-popping uh, artwork that you're going to see, and they'll kind of lead you over. Again, this is Illuminated Brew Works. Make sure to check out anything that they've made so far because everything I've tried has been awesome. Oh, it, it's really good. If you go to uh, that place, Wine Styles, at 6182 North Northwest Highway, you can pick it up. And coincidentally, that is right next door to where the new 
brew pub is going to be. Illuminated Brewworks is opening up a brew pub at 6186 North Northwest Highway. It's going to be amazing. The beer is amazing. Beers that he has in stock right now are amazing. Uh, Illuminated Brewworks. Thanks, Brian, again for uh, you know keeping us in beer here. And you know when our guests come in and stuff like that, we give it to them as well. And we've heard nothing but great things from uh, our guests who've uh, walked out of here with a four pack of uh, Illuminated Brewworks. Thanks, guys. Again, make sure to check them out. Illuminated Brew Works. Give out that information again so that if somebody else who's listening, maybe is going through the same hard times, uh, can reach out to this place. The, the place that we're rec- recommending now, the place that I went is, is no longer in operation. The place I recommend now is called Warrior's Heart. It's in Texas, and it will take firefighters, police officers, and military, no questions asked, come to the front door and get... Uh, and get counseling, get, get help. And they have a, a partner called Laurel Ridge that will do that for substance uh, and, and any other type of issues that you have. And those are phenomenal places and they are instrumental in helping guys that are struggling uh, mentally and physically. Because I think a lot of our community now is really struggling. A lot of the veteran community is having issues. And th- that's a that's a big thing to do is to get help and to ask for help. I was lucky enough to have what I call apron therapy. So every <laughs> night that we would work, we would, we'd run across the street, get a big cigar, and we'd sit out on the apron in our old office chairs, and we'd smoke a cigar, and we'd talk. And a lot of it was BS about the day, or we'd talk about our wives, or we'd talk about the situation at home, and we'd also talk about our military experiences and, and how it affected us. And it was, the, it was our group therapy. And especially with you, with Waz, that's, that's invaluable in helping me transition back to, to this to civilian life. And I think that's, that might be what a lot of guys need is that type of, re- first recognize that you have an issue and be willing to talk about it and to, to share that with other people. Dan, what, what was it that made you realize there were issues you had to go get help? Was there a particular event? Was it always there? Did Sophia tell you? Like, how did that come about? Uh, I was thankfully not... I don't think you ever... I was a substance... From what I saw, you never really showed your trauma outwardly mm-hmm. in a I way... I think that's probably a lot of us. It, it just kind of yeah. comes on at some point. There's certain... You know. There's certain... Um, Triggers? Personality traits. Yeah, personality traits, yeah. That I feel like are very common with someone who has that combat experience that I kind of, now that I am old enough to understand, I notice it in him and other other individuals. Um, but he never really, he never really showed any signs of any, um, I don't know how to put that. You never, yeah. yeah. There would, you know, I we would walk past something in the mall and he'd kind of stop for a second and you could tell it took him back to something, a smell or a stop. sight, something yep. like that, yep. you know? Yep. But I, I think a lot of that is because he doesn't know how to read. <laughs> and so, like, he would just get confused yeah. Yeah. by, like, words <laughs> that would be put together that were. They're having a very serious moment now. I'm kinda... I don't want to <laughs> skip over that because we all just kind of looked at each other uh, all on the same page. The smell. The smell was probably, uh, out of everything, probably number one, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I had this discussion with, with Nando earlier, um, what Iraq smells like. 
and you walk off the plane and you're hit, you're assaulted with this wave of B.O., shit, and burning plastic. And the entire country is permeated by the smell. And probably can't say it. It's, and it's, it was very overwhelming at first. And to be honest with you, I got to love it. I loved, I loved like not being a nice guy. I loved that freedom that it gave me. And I longed, I kind of wished for being the opportunity to, to not be a nice guy anymore. And when it came up, I would not be a nice guy. And I'd have, I'd have traffic altercations. I had a incident with a young rider that I might've got a little too aggressive with. Thank you, Brian. Uh, and it, those are things that triggered me to like, maybe I need to talk to somebody and work these anger issues out. And why am I so angry? Why, why can I, why do I go from, I can go from zero most of the time. And I, I really try not to be an a-hole at home, but if something triggered me, I go from zero to 60 pretty quick. Um, That's what I meant. Yeah. That's what I notice sometimes. Yeah. It's like the littlest thing. And you, yeah, it's a short fuse um, that, you know, sometimes well, occurs. Dan, were you triggered when Sophia came to you no. to go back to the question? No. When, yeah, how did, did I? Sophia, did, did, you, ha- did, you, want to go to did you have to like think long and hard? How am I going to tell my dad? Um, no. Was it even a, 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 an issue that he may not want to, or he may talk me out of it, he may not want me to do this. So, like I said before, he never, um, he never pushed me to be in the military, and for, honestly, for years, I thought that what he was doing was selfish, and I thought, you know, it's selfish for you to be away and do these things and be away from your family, um, and it took me a long time and a lot of growing up and, honestly, self-reflection, too, to recognize that Sacrificing personal comfort and precious how, time how with your you family him? is not selfish. How did I tell? How did I tell you? You you went to the school, and I, I can't remember. I think it was your sophomore year. The, with the two kids summer, from West Point. So I went to the no, Mar- the West Point Marine Corps that. Summer Leadership and Character Development Academy in but my the, sophomore year of high school. But the the West Point thing was before that. Oh, like a school fair. Yeah. Oh, so there was a school fair, and there were some West Point kids there my high school, and I went up there West and I West Point talked cadets, to them. six foot two, blonde hair, blue eyed, strapping young men in uniform. This is the story embellishment that. that we all talk about. <laughs> this is the way I like to think of it. You're probably right. So, Ring knockers. Yeah. So they came, she came back and said, what, what would you think if I went to West Point? And I went, uh-uh. uh, okay, i I never really heard this before. Thank God I didn't hook them horns. Yeah. So there you go. So we we applied to West Point. We went through the whole process. And thankfully, uh, Dan Zofke, who is the commander of the team that Remy used to be on, helped us a lot and said, you know, you should also apply for the ROTC scholarship. Mm -hmm. And you got a full-ride scholarship to any school in the country that you wanted to go to. So I was never nervous to tell him because I was raised... Since I, since as long as I can remember, I was raised on the idea that there are three types of people in this world, sheep, sheep, dogs, and wolves. And for years, I didn't understand what that meant. And then I started to meet the people around him and see the, the altruistic person that raised me. And um, I, you know, I started to get that gut feeling knowing that I'm a sheep. 
and it kind of drove me to to look into that that type of future. I want to be a sheepdog. My dad's a sheepdog. Like what, you know, when you're raised around this whole idea that there's so many types of people, there's only three types of people in the world. It's like, well, I don't want to be the one that he's talking about, you know. So that there are other things that we talked about earlier with the hat and having pride in what he did, but a lot of it, you know, was just being raised around the people that that he was around and being raised on that idea. I just in my gut I knew that I wouldn't be satisfied with myself if I wasn't a sheepdog in some type of way to protect and, and to serve others. And you, when we talked earlier, you were saying that you got commissioned via Zoom, right? Yeah, COVID. <laughs> so you got, you got your, your commission by Zoom, standing in a flag that you still have. Yep. And like, did do you feel a little cheated? For sure. Um, you know, my commissioning was supposed to be at UT Austin in front of the tower with all of my, with all of my class, and I didn't get any of that. But I think the, the most special moment in my commissioning was my dad was my first salute. So for people that don't know, the Army has a tradition where um, when you become an officer, you have someone, uh, you have... An enlisted person. You have an enlisted individual salute you, and then you give them a silver dollar. A silver dollar. Yeah. You give them a silver dollar, and it's like a special ceremony as part of the commissioning. And my dad was my um, first salute, and I think both of us were probably a little bit in tears for yeah. that. That was like one of the most special moments of my life. Dan, which was a better daddy moment for you? Yeah, give it up. The there's been a there's been a lot. I mean, well, Sophie's I, done. It's a lot of accomplishments. Which yeah. which was which, which was a bigger daddy moment for you, the first salute or the blood wings? I'm gonna tell another story. <laughs> Hold on. Sophia called me up and said, "Would you be mad if I got in a fight?" And I said, "Okay, where is this going?" And do you want me to tell it? Yeah, tell it. Okay, I'll make this brief. Um, Long story short, I was in high school and I was with a few of my friends and one of my friends happened to be a gay male. And we were at, um, my other best friend, her dad committed suicide the year before. Um, he, was a he was a police officer too. Um, and so we picked her up, she was having a really bad day. She was crying. It was very obvious that she had been crying all day. We get to the, we're like, what do you want? Do you want? pizza, ice cream, whatever, like what's gonna make you feel better? So we got some ice cream and we were in this, this restaurant and some, I don't know if he was drunk or if he was just an a-hole, but this guy looked at her, called her a little B-word for crying, looked at the, my friend who was gay, called him uh, an F-word, F-A-G-G-O-T. He, he was pretty much saying all these slurs, I think he was on something. But I like saw that he was doing that, and then he started to walk away, and my other friend was yelling at him, and my gay friend said, he walked up to him, shook his hand, and was like, it's all just shits and giggles, man, whatever. And I said, are you not gonna shake my hand too? So he said, F U B I T C H. And I was like, okay. So She's spelling it like he the kids are here. <laughs> I'm trying to be appropriate, okay? Yeah. So, 
He went to shake my hand, and I put my right hand out. I pulled him in, grabbed him with my left hand, pulled him in, and just knocked him right in the face. His nose was bleeding. He went on the ground. And, of course, the first thing I had to do was tell my dad. <laughs> he put me in fighting for years, so I wouldn't be a... Uh, a little bit. Bush over. <laughs> so, so just to, uh, so so like just to, just so everyone can kind of see what what I saw. Like Sophia ended up going in for a fake handshake, pulled him in with the left, and then just one timed him right in the foch. Just he was on, was on the ground. No, it was the face, right in the nose. Yeah, the face. Yeah, all yeah. the foch. Yeah. 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 All right, that's the story. Here. That's it. All right. That's the story. Wow. Here's one, one of my proudest right moments here. because I, I, she had, she had gotten the lesson what yeah. it mean, meant to be a sheepdog, and and being a sheepdog means that you don't have the, you have the capability to do violence, but you also have empathy, and you you're able to defend those people that can't defend themselves. You're not the wolf. You're not a, a predator. You're there to defend those other people. That's what a sheepdog is to me. And she had gotten that. She had figured that out. That was, I mean, absolutely. Blood wings are a great thing, and. The salute of the commissioning was great, but when she put it into practice and, and demonstrated that she knew how to defend the weak, I, I, yeah. I figured it out, I did okay. Altruistically, okay. Yeah. like without. Well, I, I would love to leave it right there. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to leave it right there. And I can't thank you guys enough for being here, Dan, Sophia, L, everyone, Bri, yeah. and everybody else who came out. Thank you so much. We can't tell you how much it means to us that you guys support and listen because everything we're doing is for you guys and we want to keep helping people like our, the charity that we're, we're going to be raising more money for. That's going to help. So just thank you for being out here. Uh, thank you for everything. Any last words, Corey? Yeah, I got all kinds of what last words. So, um, all yeah, uh, again, Co Corey's got one one more shtick. Very, oh, he, very specific he's got a thing. Oh. Very specific. It's, to be fair, it's probably the only reason they keep me around. Uh, it's why. So it's probably the only reason you guys keep me around. So um, yeah, I mean, again, thank you guys so much, so much to Illuminate Brew Works. You boys, I mean, I I like just hanging out with you. So it's nice to you know whatever do this with you. Um, Again, we're, we're really looking forward to, to being able to give a check to the AFFI Warrior Project. Um, seeing this dynamic, um, I, just so I, I'm going to bring you guys in a little bit more personally for me and Steve. Um, you know, we kind of brushed over Paramount School a little bit, and it was, you know, whatever. It was, it was a tough year. But, like, looking, looking at Lieutenant Trader right now, um, thinking about thinking about a young girl as we're coming up, trying to become paramedics, and uh, kind of seeing the the impressive young lady that she is today is pretty pretty awesome. Um, I I would have no problem no problem taking orders from you. That's for sure. Um, so uh, okay, so so we have this happy part. Dan, do you have a PC enough story that you could tell us? A nice little ball bus story for us that we can, uh, maybe in the military, maybe at Lincoln Wood, someone where, uh, you know, again, some nice prank that went down. If I mean, you I mean just, a, just a prank, just a jag that you could talk about in front of Can't say jag, people. Steve. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, if, in front of people 
One that a won't prank. offend our sponsors. One that won't offend any of our sponsors. Probably not. Okay. <laughs> Hang around later. We'll, we'll, we'll turn the table right, well, on. I'll be happy to share stories. Dan, pick uh, one. Pick one, and if it offends people, no, we'll delete leave it, later. it at that. It's perfect. That's perfect. Don't don't ruin that moment. All right, all right. Don't ruin that moment. Lieutenant Trader, any any fun pranks you guys had that you could talk about? No, you. Coming up. Oh. I don't think it's things I can say either. Not there you go. Like father, like it. daughter. I want to hear that one. Yeah. That one's not for the podcast. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, well, again, thank you so much. Waz, Fredo. Waz, yeah. Fredo. You guys, class acts as usual. Um, what do you got? What do you got? No, nothing. I, I don't want to steal their thunder at all. Yeah, uh, I'm just very thankful to Dan because, honestly, he's the one that got me in the fire service and has taught me a ton of stuff over the years, like how to be a good dad. We were just joking about uh, taking Sophia and her little friends around on Halloween. Uh, the parents had this wagon full of liquor, and uh, <laughs> the kids are running around getting Halloween candy, and we're just getting smashed. Uh, that was that was awesome. What I, about what about Pat yeah. at the house inspection? Yeah, that was that was a good one, but hurt for me because what's her face? What's her name? Uh, Cora. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She. I'm still on her, man. <laughs> so Crush these me. are all very Crush ambiguous. Right. <laughs> right. You'll have to I'll, tune I'll into the previous because this is pretty good. Uh, Alfredo and I, uh, we were we're still very good friends, but he he would come out and hang out with us. And when we were looking for a house in Lagrange, Lagrange, Lagrange Park area, uh, Alfredo came out with us, and we looked at a house, and we were going to buy it. And the house inspector happened to be the captain, Pat Maloney. So. It was, it was the neatest thing, because we were both in academy, and the, he was a captain at the time. We, we got a class in how to be a fireman from Pat. It was, it was the neatest thing. Come on, guys, let me show you how to do this. And we, it was really cool. Yeah. And at the end of the time, he's a legend in the Chicago Fire Department and a very well-respected man. And the real estate agent was a friend of my wife's. And she was funny, because after... After the inspection, he has a little speech that he does, and he goes, all right, guys, it doesn't stop here. I'll, and if you need anything, or he's, he's like offering his help if we need anything in the future. And Cora said, yeah, 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 we get it. It doesn't stop here. And she interrupted him right in the middle of his speech, and you could tell he was not used to being interrupted in the middle of uh, anything. So it was funny. Waz, well, what do you got? Last, last words? I, I will end on something, actually. I was... I love the hat. I love the hat. Just yeah, for his, I, I noticed it. I don't know if anybody is else. That the hat? I noticed it. Is it is not. Oh, I actually oh. laughed. Oh. It, my, I, I laughed because my wife said something. I'm like, oh my god, they're gonna think this is a hat. I ran the fuck out of it. No, we we talked on something that was pretty special when Sophia Lieutenant Trader was talking about how her. Well, I'm absolutely gonna call you that. Um, how it affected her as a child with Dan being gone and everything like that. And I think that's something that's definitely overlooked nowadays. Uh, yeah. Vietnam veterans had it rough because they weren't appreciated, and they really fought, which helped us, right? Absolutely. I mean, they... They fought to get the respect that veterans deserve. They, they came home and were disrespected at best. 
And I've never had any of that. I've gotten, thank right. you for my service. I've gotten very well treated, very well respected. Uh, and we have a, a society and a VA culture that, while it's not perfect, does a lot for its veterans. Yeah. It, it, the veterans, for the most part, are taken care of nowadays. Yeah. But what's often overlooked is the families. And uh, that's something that I think Sophia really brought to bring it into perspective. And I think that's something for people to realize. Maybe that, that is an area for improvement. I think it's definitely something that we can work on. Yeah. And I will I say, say that it took a lot of work as a family and personally to, to actually appreciate what he did and, and look past the pain that it caused me and my family. Um, but, you know, looking back at it now, you guys might have a different view because you might know my dad in a different way. But... In my opinion, you know, every day I try to live up to the person that he is, and he's my greatest role model. And there's, you know. For more, for more people than you realize. And, That's the end. And with that. Dan's crying again. <laughs> Just so everyone sees. And he spilled water. Right. <laughs> this guy's a mess. All right. That was um, Chicago's Bravest Stories, everybody. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. Good job, Corey. <laughs> Thank you everybody for coming. We appreciate you coming out. Raising money for you. Uh, we're going to get a tally about 20 years a day. But our goal is The opinions and views are that of Chicago's bravest stories and their guests. They do not necessarily reflect the views of any municipal governments, fire protection districts, fire departments, EMS, or law enforcement organizations.